That's a white person scatting. Well, now yeah. I see now who's talking thing. about feces. There you go. She almost said feces, and I almost laughed. Feces. <laughs> <Scatman laughs> with it, if you titled the show like "I Love Scatman Carruthers on My Face and Chest," <laughs> I'm a big fan of Scatman Carruthers. Like I loved it when he popped up on uh, my chest and my face. On, <laughs> Scooby Doo, and if you uh, add, was... if you add in all that jazz, you could say, "Hey, that's my that's my Transformer street cred. I got it from Willis, so you know, there you go." Right, exactly. <laughs> hey, Doc. Folks, welcome to another, to another episode, episode 100 of the Sid Beef Podcast. I should be more excited about this, right? You know, episode 100 of the Sid Beef Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Gary Hill, and with me tonight is Jeffrey X Martin. How you doing, sir? Hey, Gary. Hey, Jeff. How's it? Do- I can't even talk. Hey, what's up? <laughs> I'm fine. I just can't talk for shit. That's okay, man. All, all flabbergasted. But, uh, and also with us. Is Miss Jamie Simons, are you? Hey, Gary. Hey, Jamie. I am fine. <laughs> oh, and Suzanne is here. How you doing? Hey, Gary. Hey, Suzanne. Yeah, I'm, I'm well today. That's going to be a thing now. Every show now, see, hey, just, just hey, say hey back like we're the fucking Waltons or something. <laughs> Good night, John boy. Good night, John boy. Reminds me of that so, Church of God cult that invited me to go bowling that time. They were all, well. Were they, this, were, they, this, were, they, were they Buddhists? I hope they were. You know? No, they were Church of God. But they're, they're, this um, this friend of mine that I worked with, he was um, he was debauched just like me. But uh, he started hanging out with this church group, and then um, one day he was like, "Hey, you want to go bowling with me?" And I'm like, "Sure." So my roommate and I we meet him at the bowling alley, and then suddenly all these people start coming up to us like one at a time, and they have these crazy wide eyed grins on their faces, and they're oh, like. Hi, I mean, picture Family Guy episode where Meg joins the cult. Oh yeah, it's exactly that. And they they just keep coming up to me and coming up to me. And they're smiling. They're like, Hi, you should come to our church. Hi, you should come to our church. And I was like, I turned to Jen. I'm like, we have got to get out of here now. And we just sort of we ditched. Like we <laughs> we, we waited for people to turn their backs and we ran. That kid in the hill where, where Luann actually accidentally joins the cult and they make jams and jellies. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, of course uh, I'm probably the only one in this group that I've seen Bubble Boy with, with Jake Gyllenhaal the, 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 that cult in that movie you know. No, I actually have seen that Oh, okay then I'm, I'm not I don't even that. know why, but I, I have seen it <laughs> I, have a, I have a sauce bar for Bubble Boy I don't know what it is It's, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's a fun movie for me 
Is it, it's got Marley Shelton in it, which I, I fell in love instantly because, you know, The Sandlot. Yeah. Wendy Peppercorn. We'll talk about it in another episode, but I, I'm, I'm here. We're all here for episode 100, and uh, we'll kick it off like we always do. I'm going to ask Jamie, what's she been watching? Well, most recently, and I mean right before we started recording, we finished watching Mayhem, the Stephen Yun. Um, Samara weaving film that's kind of like Belko experiment. Um, that was that was really fun. I like violent as fuck. Uh, it was it was really enjoyable. So that was a thing. Um, last night we watched the Blob remake just because I felt like watching something good because we've been going through our fifty movie pack lately and it just that'll drag you down after a while. Like some of them are really good. But it'll just drag you down. And so while you really get lucky and find the diamond in the rough in those movie packs. Yeah, and that has happened a couple of times. But more often than not, I'm just, it's just like, uh, I'm just trudging through. Um, I, Mayhem was my 120th movie so far this year. Oh my God. And um, most of those I won't need to watch ever again. <laughs> but uh, let, we recently also watched Grizzly again because I wanted something good. So um, that was Brian's pick. He's like, we're watching Grizzly. And I'm like, I am always down with that. So um, The Ritual is incredible. I loved that. It's on Netflix. Um, revisited The Incubus, uh, which is a film I love. Uh, that's just That's just good old-fashioned goodness. And... Uh, we saw Jigsaw, finally, from last year. And I say finally like I was dying to see it. I wasn't. But uh, it was one of those, like, yeah, I'll get around to it eventually. And we eventually got around to it. And um, that was a thing. It was not great. But it was actually <laughs> not the worst in the series. So, you know, there's something. And it had other colors. Like, it was not monochrome. So it didn't depress the fuck out of me watching it. Gotcha. All I think about now, all I think about now is Kevin Dillon's hair and the blob and how majestic it was. <laughs> yes, man, it that is, is such it, a good movie. It is such it's it is such so a good, good head of hair too. God damn, you know, I and take that Jeff- away from that film. It's it's a good film and everything, but Kevin Dillon's hair, god damn, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what I love in that film is Candy Clark. I love her and Jeffrey Demun, and a great cast. That man terrifies me to this day because of Serpent of the Rainbow. That that's it, you know. Nothing else. <laughs> Fucking terrifying, you know. I'll see him shaking his face. That's the only time I think shaking face is scary is in that movie, you know. But uh, Suzanne, what you been watching? Honestly, I've just I have not been watching very much. I've been kind of keep just watching television. I've had the attention span of a gnat. So I found Living Single on Hulu. Mm-hmm. So I'm like. Almost done with season two. Of course, keeping up with the Olympics and my new obsession, 911. And I'm very bummed that there's not going to be any new shows for another couple of weeks. And honestly, that's really it. I just, no attention span. I did revisit City of the Living Dead the other night, though. And just, it's probably one of my favorite Fulci movies. And the first time I saw it, I was really, really sick. And a certain scene made me even sicker. 
So I've got a soft spot in my heart for a movie that makes me physically ill. I take it this is involved maggots being tossed around. Is it? Oh no, the maggots didn't bother me. It was the scene in the car where she starts expelling her organs. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, there's that. <laughs> uh, I uh, that is the film that made me decide at a young age that if Fulci had ever asked me to be in a film, I would have to decline. <laughs> uh, just because that gross. I mean, <laughs> just. The things that he made you do, <laughs> like no, thank you. I love watching them. Wouldn't want to be in them. Yeah, Jeffrey X. Been uh, kind of mining Prime Video, Amazon Prime. So oh, lots. It's, it's a treasure trove on Amazon Prime right now. Tell you what, man. There's so much Italian on here. We just watched City of the Living Dead again this evening, like during dinner. Because oh you know, wow. Yeah, we're like that. Um, so yeah, all the long titles like "The Night Evelyn Came Out of the Grave" is on there, and "Your Vice is a Locked Room," and "Only I Have the Key," which I watched for another show. So all that stuff is on there right now, and it's making me very, very, very happy. And that's probably about it. I mean, you know, all of our movies are in boxes, so I'm not pulling down hot fuzz every six days like I normally do. Well, we own that in our, our library. People just want to click it up. Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> but yeah, just old shit. Like me. <laughs> just old shit like me. Did, did I mention Riverdale on this podcast yet? I'm curious if I did or not. Because uh, if, if not, I have a new obsession with Riverdale. And I, I think it's it's wonderful. It's made by... I think, I think Greg Berlanti touches as a producer is spectacular. But this is... Uh, as created by the one who made the Carrie remake, the the, the latest one. But don't let that fool you because uh, it's my kind of melodrama. Uh, Skeet Ulrich shows up for, in my, in my opinion, the first time. I, I don't think he's that great in anything until he shows up as Jughead's dad on Riverdale. And uh, that's your second best character right there. But the first best character is Jughead, uh, played by uh, Cole or Dylan Sprouse. I forget which one's which. I think they're the same person. But, uh, I got chops, got chops, and I'm really surprised by that. And lots of folks show up in it. Uh, Lach- Lachlan Monroe, uh, who will always be Cliff O'Malley to to uh, po- podcasters who listen to the Skeleton Crew, you know, from Dead Men on Campus. <laughs> um, who else? It, that, 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 that female whose name I could never pronounce, but she was in, she was the the female lead in Sleepwalkers. She she plays uh, Betty's mother on that show. It's just phenomenal. I, I read through the first season on, on uh, Netflix, and then I immediately got foaming at the mouth for the second season. And uh, that's not as good as the first season, but it's, it's still got the same vibe. Uh, is Jughead's much... dad's name Jugdad? No, his name isn't Jugdad. No, it's Aww. not. <laughs> that's kind of sad, though, isn't it? Okay. He, he does disappointed. Wear, he does wear the crown hat, though. So he's still the the queen of Queen Ar- the, the 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 king of Queen Archie's world, if you will, as they say in Chasing Amy. You know, ah, uh, yeah, there's that. Watch Riverdale. You may you may, you may, get, you may get sucked in Riverdale as well. So it's on it's on Netflix, like all the other CW shows are. Um, today, I watched some stuff today that I'll get into. I watched a, a film called Bullethead, which uh, stars uh, Adrian Brody and John Malkovich and Antonio Banderas. It's uh, it's kind of got to feel like Session 9 to, to it, in my opinion. But I think it's way more entertaining. They basically, him, uh, 
Malkovich, Adrian Brody, and uh, one of the Culkin boys, one of the lesser used Culkin boys, uh, robs rob somebody, rob uh, whoever Rory Culkin was working for, and they happen upon this uh, this warehouse, and inside this warehouse is a dog fighting ring, and a dog fighting gambling ring, and they're pursued in this warehouse by a dog that may or may not be dead. Like, you know, because he, he was just in a fight the night before and he lost, so there's, 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 like I said, there's scenes in this film I was telling you guys before we went on the air that'll make you cringe if you're a dog lover. And not not in a bad way, it's just like, yeah, it, it, it has to be, has to be shown, just to show the, the, the torture that this dog went through and why he's so angry. And there's a real tender scene where... Adrian Brody saves a dog's life, much like in the Sandlot. He lifts something heavy off of him, and you know, him and the dog are cool at that point, if you will. And uh, it's just, it's, it's, it's really enjoyable. It's a very dialogue-driven film. John Malkovich gets some good John Malkovich in that movie, and I love when John Malkovich talks at anything. Even those Super Bowl, pro- those uh, Super Bowl promos, or if you ever watched it before, just YouTube John Malkovich Super Bowl, and you will see some of the finest Malkovich talking about football that you'll ever want to hear in your life. Even if you don't like football, it's just awesome. You know, uh, there's that. I watched Dead Shack, which people told me it was good. It's on Shudder. And, uh, that's got Lauren Holly in it. Uh, apparently... <sighs> heralding a, 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 a horde of zombies. Uh, she, she calls them her family, which is very confusing, because she kind of loosely explains it at the end of the film. But the plot of the movie is, if you haven't seen it before, is um, this woman, played by Lauren Holly, uh, entices people to her house to drug them and and internally feed them to zombies. I guess to make more zombies, because you get that in this movie. And, of course, these people going in this cabin in the woods, uh, happenstance on Lauren Holly, and, you know, that ball gets a rolling. They gotta survive, and yada, yada, yada. It's enjoyable. I'd give it a good 7 out of 10. I'd say it's a good 90 minutes to sit through. Um, besides that, not not a ton, you know. Um, this is always the hardest part for me, but I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna stop it there. <laughs> but uh, yeah, t- today, uh, right now, I'm gonna say next segment, obviously, and I'm fucking be unorganized as hell. Is our beef, bitches, and mashed potatoes. Okay, who gets the burly uh, beef? I ordered barbecue beef. I think that's mine, but I didn't who order gets fries. The barbecue beef? Mine's the Duke Deluxe. Okay, who gets the burly beef? I heard that. Jamie, you got one this week, girl. I do, and oh man, there's actually, you know what? A couple things that were bothering me recently, quickly. One of them was, I I just find it interesting how someone can be, like, so incredibly far left. Um, And I'm talking about the ones who are so far there that they consider themselves, like, morally superior. And they want to police other people's morals. You know, I, I am far more left than I am anything else, but I am not that far out there. And, but these are the, the, a lot of these people I have seen today, basically dancing on the grave of, Oh shit. I 
dropped his name. Oh, you know. Billy Graham. Yeah, Billy, thank you, of Billy Graham. And I'm not a fan either. I was never a fan of the man. But I just don't really see. I So what? So my response to a, the death of someone that I am not a fan of is just, just not say anything at all. You know, I don't really find it necessary to say anything. But I also, I don't really see how it's possible to be so incredibly morally superior yet at the same time be so fucking mean when someone has died those two things just don't gel with me and i don't see the point you know so whatever i mean like i said i wasn't a fan but i'm also you know i'm just not gonna shit on him when he's dead either because it's he's gone so whatever um another thing was I'm, i'm oh my god i'm so irritated with people not reading an article but reading just the headline and then passing it along and then being outraged by whatever the headline has led them to believe is was within the article or without doing any further research like for instance the latest chris rock special which we have seen uh there's a bit in the beginning where he uses the absurd and it's clearly hyperbole where he's talking about how he wants you know he wants some real equality he wants to see white parents on TV crying because their kids have gotten shot by the police, you know. And obviously he is not advocating for anyone's children to really be shot by the police. That's not what he's trying to say, and it's not how it comes off at all, at least not to me. But someone has taken that clip, just that clip, completely out of context, and they've been circulating it as if he is actually advocating for white children to be shot. And that's not the point of what he was trying to say. And then I've seen people on my timeline who were just forwarding this and they're like, this is appalling. This is not comedy. This is, you know, like, come on. Like, are we really that sensitive now that we don't understand that comedians use the absurd and they have always done that? They forgot what satire is. It's sad. It really saddens me. You know. I mean, it's just the point of it is to slap you in the face and make you think. That's what he's trying to do. So he takes something that is so far out of the realm of reality, uh, you know, that that someone would actually say and mean it, that you can't possibly, in a, in a real world, expect that he really means this, and he slaps you upside the face with it because he wants you to think about it, and yet. There are people who are actually accusing him of wanting white children shot because, yes, that's what he's saying. <laughs> like, just God damn it. Anyway, for the record, I thought I thought his new special was very funny. I was, so. I was listening to one of my favorite shows, the Ross Patterson Revolution, and him and his wife were talking about that special. And you know, <laughs> they said, like, the first half was what you're talking about, like, very politically charged, but at the same time, not. With the intention of what these people are talking about, and you know, and he, he mentioned that you know all all of Chris Rock's friends are, are he's in, he's in Hollywood he knows he knows people. Well, Chris Rock's friends are white, so why the hell would he be even talking seriously about let's go kill a whole bunch of white people and have fun with it? He wouldn't be talking like that. He has too many white friends to talk to, you know, that that would say, "Hey, I'm appalled by this," but whatever, you know. But they know they know him and they know his comedy, so th- there you go. It's the same thing as, as Eddie Murphy making fun of gays in the 80s. You know, it's just something he did. Does he hate gays? Probably not. But, you know, it's, it's something he did. 
Well, I've always been a staunch supporter of comedy in pretty much any form. I, d- I don't really believe that there's anything that's untouchable. And most of the time, if they're saying something and it hits you in a weird way, there's probably a reason for it. A good comedian, an intelligent comedian, and those are the kind I really enjoy. They say the things they say on purpose and they know what they're doing. And it can be horrible and funny at the same time. And so it's, yeah, I mean, that is a horrible thing to imagine. That's a horrible thing to picture. But the absurdity of the entire situation is also, yeah, what makes it funny. And you kind of, it's one of those situations where you find yourself laughing and then you're like, uh, wow, I just laughed about white parents crying on TV because their kids were shot by the police, you know, and obviously that's in itself is not funny, but you know, I, I don't know, whatever. I just, it just, oh my, it just irritates me because 20 years ago, no one, I don't remember anyone ever bitching about stuff back that, like that, but maybe they did and I just ignored them. Just, I don't know. It's just like you said, social media, you know, how many Twitter followers do you have? How many are going to see what you wrote? I mean, I watched the Gilbert Godfrey documentary recently and he lost his, his Aflac endorsement because he made, uh, jokes about the, the tsunami in Japan on Twitter and people didn't like that so they, you know they, those are folks that just don't, you know it, it, it was a too soon thing but at the same time it's Gilbert Gottfried, either you get him or you don't get him you know, he's making the light of a situation uh, When I was growing up, if you were watching something and you decided that you didn't like it, you turned the channel you maybe say something to somebody else but that's the end of the story if you heard something you didn't like you turned it off and now everybody ha- feels the need to jump up on a soapbox and scream at the top of their lungs well I don't like this and everybody should hate this too because this was said and this was said and they did this like you know what why don't you just everybody th- I think needs to learn to sit down and shut the fuck up I'm guilty of it but I, I stopped doing it because I don't want to hear people's reactions to what I have to say about things that I'm probably uneducated about. I'll be the first to admit that I'm un, I'm un, as uneducated as it comes. I have a high school diploma, barely. I don't have I don't have a, a college degree. I don't have political science degree. And I love these people who say, you know what? They want to be a citizen. They should they should pass that test. But you know, motherfucker, if you sat down to take that test, you probably couldn't pass it yourself. So let's let's talk about that for a second, okay? That most of the stuff you've learned, you have unlearned. And, yeah, you're probably just as dumb as the people you're talking about, you know? And, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I usually keep most of my opinions to myself. I mean, I have a group of friends that I we can sit around and talk about it. But I just like, remove all of that from all of my social media. I don't really care to read other people's opinions and I just don't really care for people to know my opinions unless I am asked point blank. And if you ask me point blank, you're going to get a point blank response that you're probably not going to like. Yeah. Like I, I shared this, uh, this, this post that Michael Ian Black, a comedian, if you guys know who he is, I'm sure you guys all do. Yeah. He, yeah. So it was so profound to me that I had I had to share it, and I, I I understand the thread for this is is quite great too. I only have a few, a few things here. It says deeper even than the gun problem is this: uh, colon boys are broken. Uh, until we fix men, we need to fix the gun problem. And he goes on to say, the last fifty years redefined womanhood. 
women were taught that they could be anything. No, no commensurate moment. I'm sorry, we missed miss up words here. For, for men who are still generally locked into the same rigid, outdated model of masculinity and it's killing us. And I agree to that because I have those moments of clarity constantly to where I'm, I'm very proud. You know, and I'm very set in my situation. Me and X are basically the same animal. If we got a problem, you know, I, I we, we can tell each other until we're blue in the face. If you, if you need something, dude, let me know. And I know he's got issues that he's not going to tell me about, and I got issues I'm not going to tell him about. Because guess what? We're men. We, we, we can't help these things. We can't help the way we are. We're terrified to go to the doctor because we're stubborn as fuck. You know, it's, it's, it's that simple, you know. Hey, I've got one of those over here. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> well, it took me six years of begging and pleading, if not, no, actually it was longer than that, to get my husband to go to the doctor. And it was literally, I was about ready to club him on the back of the head and throw him in the trunk. Well, that's that Dago side of you, so you get the wooden spoon going on and, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I actually quoted that to my friend when we were talking about the school shooting. And she stopped and thought about it, and she's like, you know, that makes a lot of sense. But that's that's the only thing I shared about that that gun situation, you know, is that that's it, you know. Well, Suzanne, how about you? You got any beefs, girl? Oh, just, you know, the standard, just that time of year. Potholes, flooding basement, hopefully yeah. mine doesn't flood. I got, like, a little bit of water, a little sploosh, but I'm sure... Looking at my backyard neighbors, I, the lake. Um, oh my um, god, the real- potholes are insane. Oh my god, I look like I was drunk because I was trying to get around. And these aren't just like little divots. We are talking. There's no. a bunch of hubcaps on the side of the road from this. Yeah, well, I actually saw cars on the side of the road today when I was trying to drive, and it's like, it's like trying to drive in Twister. Well, before yeah. you next time, like before, Brian's, you, before you girls huh? go out next time, call the ghost of Harry Dean Stanton, and he'll show you the map of the road where all the bombs are. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've got Brian in the passenger seat going right, left, right, left. <laughs> and now that everything's filled with water, it's like I can't tell. So I'm just going to do my best to avoid it. Oh boy, X, any beef, sir? You know, no. Not really. I mean, I have things that I could bitch about. I'm not gonna. There's a lot of stuff going on. You know, we're getting ready to move. I'm gonna be a grandparent in like two months. I don't have time to worry about what other people are doing or thinking or thinking about what I'm thinking or thinking about what I'm doing. So, yeah, I don't don't have time for that. And you know what? That's a good place for me to be. I need to be in that place where I just don't give a fuck anymore. So that's where I'm headed, and there you go. I think about what you're thinking often, dude, because I, I care about you. I love you, okay? You know. I love you too, dude. Don't worry. It's not, it's not bad things. It's okay. not. But, you know, when I get up into the whole, you know, the whole political things and all of that, I'm just like, God, you know, fucking grow up and just do the right thing. It's not hard. Yeah. Anyway, there you go. Oh, my beef is in defense of one of our friends, uh, Willis Wheeler, who saw the Black Panther film, and he didn't like it as much as, as, as I guess, his black counterparts thought he should, because 
he took some shit on the internet over his his thoughts about the Black Panther, and I don't think that's entirely fair because Willis is subjective a lot about a lot of films and which aren't just you know black oriented films and hell he 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 uh, berated uh Suzanne about Suspiria constantly constantly you know. But Suzanne, what if what if what if what if Spirit had a monkey in it? Willis would be all over that then. So. Oh God, he would be <laughs> giggling and laughing the whole time. You put that chip in place of the killer. Oh my God, he'd be spectacular. You know. Oh God, when he fell in love with the monkey on the Phenomena podcast. Oh my God, he could barely speak. Phenomena. <laughs> oh no. Damn it. <laughs> Sorry, I can't. I, I actually can't help went. It. It's automatic. I went two episodes without. Actually, no. I only went one episode without the menominating me. <laughs> but yeah, Willis, we love you, and we, we you know, don't t- don't take shit from those people because those people are not your friends. Yeah, you know, we we know you're subjective about stuff, and uh, I you like what you like, man, and uh, I love how these people are out there thinking they're like some kind of crusaders. They got. I think it's Kanye, uh, um, Kendrick Lamar and LeBron James buying out movie theaters so inner city kids can go see the Black Panther. That's fine. That's great. You know, I, I understand, you know, your opening box office is everything and it made like 200 some million dollars and this gives other black uh, filmmakers a chance to get big films and I understand that because Ryan Coogler has been hitting it out of the park. I mean, I watched Fruitvale, Fruitvale Station. It's a good film. I watched Creed. It was a great film. I didn't see Black Panther yet, and I'm not into protests. It's just the the theaters are a little too full right now, and I like to go when they're a little bit lighter. And uh, maybe like a week or two when the film's been in, in theaters, and uh, that's just that's just the way the way I roll. But um, they didn't do that when like Selma came out or something like that, where he actually had an adverse effect on their people, their race as as a as a people, and what they can do. They didn't do that for for a lot of films, uh, and and. This is a. This is just seems like a real play, kind of like a casting. I don't know what 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 nationality she is, but she's the uh, the hot girl to Zoe Deschanel's her her best friend in a new girl, uh, the, the, the the new girl series. She's gonna play an ethnic female greatest American hero, because you know why? They they felt that somebody needed that. And they, they, they needed to re- reach that racial and female quota on their network. And I know that's a thing because I, I've read about these things that they're required to have so much of certain contents on their network. And they think that they're doing a service to somebody by making this a female. And, you know, it's not progressive. It's just stupid. And I, I don't give more than six episodes to begin with because... They're going to get all serious with it, whereas the original series was kind of like made for laughs with some serious stuff in it. Uh, and they're just thinking, Gary, uh, women women could do anything. But you know what? I'm really excited about that Lost in Space series on Netflix. And you know what made me excited about it? Because Parker Posey was going to play Dr. Smith. That's what made me really excited about it. Because she's got that just amount of, that amount of snark to play to pull off that role as, as a female, as, as, as an actor, if you will. So you go play Dr. Smith, Parker Posey. I, I don't endorse the other thing, but, you know, I, I'm just saying that, you know, it's not a, a female-driven. It's kind of like a, a Tomb Raider Barbie doll that nobody asked for. Just 
Just throwing it out there. Nobody asked. Hey, are that. you serious about the greatest American hero thing? Yes. Yes. It's going to be rebooted. Why would you do? All right. If you're going to do that, but you're not going to do the comedy angle, then why even do it at all? That's the that was the whole point of that show. I, I'd imagine they're going to make it really serious because that's what they I mean. Do so shows. if they're going to do that, then just make a different show. It's going to tear the heart out of it. I mean, they have Supergirl, who's serious most of the time, but even even on that show, you know, Melissa Benoist, you know, God bless her, everything. But they make her look really stupid on this show where she just stands there like a jackass with her arms on her, you know, and smiles like a jackass with her arms on her waist. And, you know, like, yeah, I get it. You're Supergirl. And she does that sometimes. But you know what? There's other characters on Arrow and Legends of Tomorrow who are just women kicking ass. And they ain't got to do all that. You know, you got Sarah Lance, who's uh, the, the, um, the, the white canary on, on Legends of Tomorrow, who's the leader of that group, and she's a female, just beating the shit out of people. Meantime, you got Supergirl, just standing in the building, smiling like a jackass. Yep, I got friends to do my work for me. You know. Smiling like a jackass. You, you just, you, watch, a- let me see, watch it, though. You'll see exactly what I'm talking about. You watch these other shows, where you got um, Katie Cassidy, just kicking ass. You got you got the other these other female characters, who are very independent characters, they're just beating the shit out of people, and and then you got that one who's just. I, that's why I don't watch Supergirl. I watch all those other DCU shows except for Supergirl because it bores me to tears because they make her so freaking terrible. And yeah, for that cutesy reason of yeah, let's take this ethnic girl and put her in Greatest American Hero just just to help our network and make it for nobody. That they won't have a kick-ass theme song. I bet it won't. I bet it won't. Hell no. I think my my the my worst nightmare gender reversal. I was so excited for the new Battlestar Galactica, and then they turned fuck. It was a Starbucks. I'm a Katie Sackhoff fan. You don't have me there, baby. I'm sorry. You know. <laughs> I, I'm sorry that I was infuriated. I pretty much stood up, left the room screaming, fuck this! No way! But again, she, she's one of those characters that, 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 that played that, that gender reversal well. And I, I think that that, that that worked in that instance, but that's just me talking. Nope, I did not watch another episode. I didn't even finish the episode. I was pissed. But I'm very excited about the V reboot, and then I always had strong female characters on there, and I hope that they don't Fuck that up and make that all cutesy too. You just throw it out there, but it's just Isn't uh, it bad that I'm excited about the Shaft reboot. Yeah, that's coming too. Yep, three generations of Shaft, and I hope they call it that. So they're gonna have round. They're gonna have round tree. They're gonna have Sam L and somebody else in the same movie. Yeah, dude, it's gonna be um ah, some dude from Independence Day. Jesse T. Usher is John Shaft Jr. <laughs> nice. I dig it. Are they gonna have a, a private detective agency? I hope so. Just three dicks. <laughs> Shut your mouth. I'm talking about Shaft. <laughs> oh, but I, I've said my piece. <laughs> I've said my piece on this gender equality God stuff. damn it, I'm going to miss you. <laughs> Yay, women. Women all day long. Unless you write stupid shows about them. And then you're just patronizing me. And the women that you, that you, you think you're writing it for. Just throwing it out there, you know. Yeah, well, they're not writing for me. I want, I want the men back. That's my thing. Like, who are they writing this for? You know, just, you can write as many strong women as you want to, but you know, who, who are you writing that for? You're not writing it for them. 
Just like they're not right, they're not right modern family for for the gays. They just happen to have gay characters on the show, which I think are fine, you know. But they're, they're again, they're getting that quota, and you know and that that's a that's an underlying thing. That's that's either good or bad, you know. Yeah, I'm here. I'm independent. I love all transgender, pan, uh, pansexuals, <laughs> L B G T, whatever, uh, whatever, how many of our letters you guys have now, and that's fine too. Sydney podcast tonight. Episode 100. We're doing three films that have the same common theme entitled Shit Just Got Real. We do Galaxy Quest and Three Amigos and Westworld with a cavalcade. A ton, a ton of guests on this show, people. And we really hope you guys enjoy that. And uh, right up after this, we're going to start with uh, Three Amigos. (laughs) With special guests Mike Murphy and Bo Ranstell, right after this promo. Badasses, boobs, and body counts is a weak grindhouse and exploitation cinema. Your three hosts, Mike. It's a quick. <laughs> Thank you. Come again. Not racist at all. Mark. If you bend over and you have what is essentially a pubic cottontail coming out the crack of your ass, you need to do some goddamn grooming. And listener favorite, Iris. I do not have sex with that horse. <laughs> will make you question your own political correctness while laughing at theirs. Episodes drop every Sunday and can be found by searching BB and BC Podcasts via Lipson, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, and iHeartRadio. You can also listen to episodes directly from the show's website at badassesboobsandbodycounts.com. Amigos. They were the biggest stars of their day. The three amigos are history. But that was yesterday. Look, boys, I know show business. Something always turns up. Telegram for the three amigos. Steve Martin. Chevy Chase. Do you have anything besides Mexican food? Martin Short. The Three Amigos. Throw down your gun! Not you, Dusty! Sorry! Three amigos. I'll come back one day. Why? Hello, welcome back to episode 100 of the Sun Beef Podcast. And with us for this segment, I'm not sure which order he's going to go into, so we're going to fly right into this. Uh, he is my boss of sorts. He is uh, part of, well, he is the leader of many shows, I guess, uh... The Shed, I'm going to say, the Shed and Freud Gaming Show, 
Duncan and Bo go to Twin Peaksies. JBL is going to say Peaksies for some reason. And of course, uh, sometimes he frequents on Devour the Podcast. And Hero Hero Go Show as well. Man, there's a lot of fucking shows. Bo Ransdell, how are you, sir? I'm great. I thought you were talking about Mike. Um, so, I only uh, do one show. Oh, you, <laughs> should, you should try doing like I do not have the flexibility that you guys have. You're like young, 14-year-old, hairless gymnast, all of you. I, I swear I feel like that more every day. <laughs> um, <laughs> my, my inner gymnast yearning to breathe free. Uh, yeah, I, uh, it's great to be here. I'm excited about doing this. I, I, I never get a chance to talk about comedies really, uh, outside of horror comedies and stuff. Um, and I am a big, big fan of this era of, of film. In fact, three amigos has two of my three favorite comedic actors of all time, maybe. Um, and I only exclude Martin short from that because, uh, he doesn't, quite make the list but my god if ever there were a creature made for show business martin short is it i think you're describing the birth of the warlock in that second warlock movie you know where he screams and the man no breaks you know it's a all right we're a little shit movie and maybe am i the only one is it better? I, see, I kind of came around to this movie because i i had a real low opinion see what we're doing here <laughs> we gotta swing to the positive happy Right, okay. I'll, I'm fine. Three you know, amigos I'll... is half full, not half stupid. Right. Yeah. And, but there's stuff that totally doesn't work. I agree with that. Yeah. All I remember about Caddyshack too is Jackie Jackie Mason's jacket in that movie he was wearing. That they you know you turn it this way, it's blue. You turn it this way, it's purple. Yeah. It's all I remember about that movie. And the term "funza noon." I remember about that, about that film, which I still use I today. Remember things. Well, Funza Noon is somebody who's so uptight that when they fart in the bathtub, they bite the bubbles. I thought that was fucking hilarious. So, I, I remember I saw I saw Three Amigos twice. Once in the theater back in the mid '80s. It was an early '80s film, right? Yes. And it's '86. Yeah. Okay. Mid '80s. And last yeah. week, and there was a reason I avoided it all these years. I just it didn't tickle my funny bone whatsoever. And I think that's partially due to the people who wrote it. They they're not they're not screenwriters. I mean, once yeah, a musician, Steve Martin Newman. is okay. well. Yeah, by trade, he's an actor and a comedian. So you would think that that would add to the script and how funny it should have been. But the other two, Randy Newman, he writes songs, right? I I feel like he got that credit for the My Little Buttercup thing. Right. I feel like I, I feel like shouldn't that his writing the, credit was that. Be, right. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. Anyway, that's cool. <laughs> Well, we're talking about the Three Amigos right now, from the, the grand year of 1986. If you haven't seen it before, here's the chief plot synopsis from IMDb. Three actors accept an invitation to a Mexican village to perform their on-screen bandit fighter roles, unaware that it is the real thing. Uh, they mentioned Steve Martin, Chevy Chase, Martin Short, Tony Plana is an actor I know in a bunch of things. But, oh, Lovitz shows up in here for a second, Joe Montaigne, of course. Phil Hartman shows up for a second, and of course, uh, you have uh, Alfonso Aru as El Guapo, our, our titular bad guy, who's uh, pr- pretty great in this movie. But um, I'm going to kick it to somebody who, I don't know who likes this movie or not, but I'm going to ask Jamie first what she thought about the film. Okay, well, much like Mike, I saw this in the theater when it yesterday. So... And that wasn't because I didn't like it, because when it released, 
I loved it. My best friend and I would quote this movie like crazy for years. We did the Three Amigos salute. Um, it 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 just was a movie we watched a lot or ever. Even, but a lot of it fell flat for me. Most of that was Martin Short. I am not a big fan of Martin Short. No, I like he's like an asshole. Um, I still think he's funny. So. Uh, I think the majority of the thing, and just stuff like that, like odd choices that I thought were just, huh. I mean, that was pretty much my reaction was, huh, okay. Specific subgenre. So you got like this real mixed seed bag of Western. You had, you know, Pale Rider, which was amazing. So did Hugh Wilson's Rustler's Rhapsody, which was another parody on classic Westerns. Nobody liked that one either. And I think it's because we were all so... Well, it's better than Clifford, so. Yeah. <laughs> what was that? What's that character with the hair that, or with the like the alfalfa hair that he used to do all That's the time? Oh, oh yeah. my god! <laughs> yeah. But but Jackie, what was it, Jackie something Junior? But it was he played the albino child of a rock star or something, and would show <laughs> up on their game show parodies. It was very funny. Anyway, I like I'm saying, but he's also I think really good in um, Inner Space. Um, is that right? Is that the one yeah. you said? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, like I think this was kind of the sweet spot for Martin Short in terms of his career when he was like hitting on SNL. Also good in this. Also good in Inner Space. Like, th- like if you're gonna watch Martin Short, this is the era. I think it's 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 a good balance of his really physical slapstick stuff. And it's not so far out for his usual character stuff. I mean, this is a pretty normal guy that we're dealing with in Three Amigos. He's not, you know, prancing around with a triangle, and he's that's that's terrible. But I think everybody's pretty uniformly great in in this movie. And who was saying that there were no Mexicans in this movie? Alfonso Arau's Mexican. That was me. It was sort of a joke. No, there are there uh, are a lot of white folks in the movie who. I have brown face on and you know who cares honestly and that yeah you know, this is movie, and that's okay it's sort of a product of its time right and it's also a lot how these older westerns were also so i don't never be done again and it, a lot of that kind of flew up in the face of this no, that we're good, just, he's even he's even said no, that himself is that hmm? good no i don't think that's good I don't either. I think I think as a society we're too political. Not, uh, it was not saying, "Hey, this is the way everyone should act." It was, you know, look at this buffoon. Don't be this guy. Especially the, you're not getting a lot, it. You're, you don't, a lot of whitewashing. Stop of trying to like, make things evil when they're not. And anyway, so. different stuff from different cultures, like. Death Note on Netflix was a big... Folks probably didn't watch Death Note. They just said, oh, there's no Asian people in this Death Note movie? I'm not going to sit and watch that then. You know. <laughs> I thought I thought Train to Busan was a remake of Silver Streak. No, because there oh. are Asians in it. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, Gene Wilder... That was not so good, though. Gene Wilder is... Gene Wilder is one-tenth Vietnamese, I heard. You know, before he died, he found that out, I guess. You know. No. <laughs> Part Asian. 
I love this movie. I'm sorry. I mean, there's a lot of stuff around it, maybe, but it, I don't think it has a racist bone in its body. There's not any racist jokes or some stereotypes, but no, I agree. It's not, it's not like the white guys come down to make fun of them for being Mexican, except that one Chevy Chase line where he asks if they have something besides Mexican food, which is fucking funny, by the way. So I don't know. I just I love the I, look they give each other when he says that. <laughs> they kind of they're like, is he fucking serious? <laughs> like, <laughs> And no, and that's not, I mean, racist dude, because I don't, I mean, I don't, I'm saying it's not. It, not about this. I don't think, I don't think you're this, a racist in general. <laughs> yeah, you're <laughs> racist. I don't well, think this panel me. agrees with that, that it's racist. I yeah, not, not intentionally. Yeah, I, I, it's not. Uh, but no. what I'm saying is, is that it, it, I it would be in it 2017 would if it was right. remade that's, as such. That's what I'm saying. That's yeah. what I'm saying is that it wouldn't be allowed to be now but or, Chevy, you know as in TV. Chevy Chase would be Michael Pena in this movie He'd be my, the other way around I mean if they made a remake of this movie which I wouldn't have a problem with if Michael Pena played the, the Dusty Bottoms role in a remake of this movie well I mean to keep it time period appropriate like the three stars of the movie are going to be white because yeah. I mean this was all said no, in I the, think I think this should be remade movie. and three stars should be Mexican coming to America in the same situation that makes no all sense, right. of course. It would be all mass luchadors who fight vampires. Oh, then that would that would be great. Whenever they're telling him you don't belong here, what are you? <laughs> what are you doing here? You don't belong here. <laughs> Oops, there goes my idea. Um, <laughs> Can we come back to the luchadors comment because that's brilliant. <laughs> El, El Santo comes to Hollywood, you know, to fight yes. vampires. Yes. <laughs> oh, but the guy who does like the movie, I know. He's got some great stuff to say about him. Glowing things to say to say about it. Mike, what do you think, sir? I don't hate it, but I I don't like it, and I'll never have a reason to ever revisit it. I think it's got an amazing trio of comedians. Uh, I don't think they work well together because of the script that was poorly written by guys who, setting sort of Steve Martin aside because he's a comedic genius, he's one of the all-time greats, and I'll say the same for uh, Chevy Chase and even Martin Short to a degree. But in this movie, they're sort of all reflections of their time spent on SNL. And it it really shows, and it's just sort of not funny. Um, I agree with Jamie. Well, um, Blazing Saddles is great. And, and I'm saying hey, this. everyone could, agrees this, with that. Right, right. This could have been because of the cast. This could have been. A blazing saddles it just didn't turn out that way because it's it's really poorly written and unfortunately a lot of the funny bits are just not delivered by the guys sort of hired to deliver those funny bits and that's a shame considering who they are and what else am i going to say about this again i'm not going to be mean or cruel to it it, it is what it is it's a family friendly film anybody can sit down and watch it and get a laugh or two just not a lot um, I don't think it's a Western. Sure, it's sort of set in that time era, but I don't consider this a Western at all. I consider it just strictly a comedy, and it was, but really in the 80s. And, and I, I can't really argue that because it's it's set in that time frame, right? But in the 80s, the Western is almost completely dried up, so it was ballsy to sort of produce this movie from that standpoint. And so I consider it strictly a comedy. What else am I going to say? I don't find it remotely racist whatsoever. I find it that it was shot in a time where 
Jamie said it perfectly, where you could poke fun at literally anything across the board. And people sort of understood that it was supposed to be funny. And it usually was when that's the sort of movie that they were producing. And this it's this day and age with all the social media and the crybabies and the bitches out there. And this would never get made, sadly enough. Anyway, I, I don't I don't necessarily hate it, but I don't have anything real positive to say about it. I'm saddened that you get three greats like Chase, Short, and uh, Martin, and they just they just fall flat. They don't work well together at all. But that's just me. Gotcha. Bo. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, I, I kind of said this in in the upfront when we were all chit chatting. Um, I. I did not remember this movie very fondly. Like I, I love these guys. Some of my favorite movies are things like, uh, you know, the Caddyshack and animal house and stripes and, uh, that era of comedy, like late seventies, early eighties. Uh, and you know, like Chevy chase had always been a guy that I thought was very funny, uh, especially on SNL, but hadn't really, aside from Caddyshack had never been in a movie that wowed me. Like I wasn't a big fan of uh, seems like old times and stuff like that. And like more so an invisible man. Uh, I that's no, the greatest really. John Carpenter movie ever made. <laughs> I I I I feel like that's a a there are things about that that are interesting and I think it's one of the most miscast movies ever made. Yeah, uh, Chevy Chase was horribly wrong for that role, and I'd be interested to see what that movie would be like being kind of Chevy Chasey at times. Um, but at any rate, so. I, you know, I love all these guys. I was real excited to hear that they were in a film together. Uh, I saw the movie as a, as a, you know, teenager, I guess. And I, that's how I've remembered it for a long, long time. I, pro- I probably saw it a couple of times when I was a kid and kind of always had the same impression. And when I went back and watched it again, I, I watched it less as a movie that's going to hold together like a movie ought to. Because uh, I don't really think it does. So uh, how do you think this would play, Bo? Steve Martin, Dan Aykroyd, and John Belushi. Uh, I don't. N- not much better. Uh, not oh, much okay. better, to be honest. I mean, I in fact, I think that Martin Short is perfect for the role that he's playing. Mm-hmm. Um, Chevy Chase, uh, like, so one of my problems with with the film is that I don't feel like Steve Martin and Chevy Chase's characters are clearly defined. Like mm-hmm. Med Nederlander or whatever, like that character feels wholly realized to me. And the other two seem like variations on the same theme. Cause at but one point it was like, like, he's kind of the ladies man. Right. Except kind of not because Chevy chase is two. And so who is the leader? I guess Steve Martin, but you know, Martin short, like his character at least feels like he is the moral center. Like there are a couple of times in the film where the script points out, like he does the noble thing, you know, whether it's, it's, he's going to be the guy, that gives all the money he's going to make to a boy's home or whatever, uh, to he's the guy that's the first one to, you know, put the line in the sand and say like, we're going to help these people. Like that character feels real to me, uh, or real enough for the purposes of the script. And, but the other characters feel just a little mushy in terms of how they're distinct from one another. Uh, except, you know, Steve Barton has a lasso and Chevy Chase has a knife, but you only really, that only matters kind of at the beginning and end of the movie. Um, and, and so the, the structure of the film is essentially, you know, the IMDB synopsis, but it, it's an excuse to string together the gags. And the problem I have with three amigos is I think some of the guy little buttercup thing is funny at all. 
Um, I, the whole thing in the bar, I don't find very funny. That whole sequence is kind of a drag. Um, I, I don't think like the, the second song when all the animals are gathering around that goes on a little too long and I don't think is very funny. Um, do you think any of the fall, do you think any of the songs actually fit in the film? I mean, it's, yeah, it's not necessarily musical, but like, is there a place for numbers like this in 1985 when they're shooting it? Oh, sure. I, I, well, I mean, in a modern film, no, but what they're referencing is like, they're making a period piece that I think that the opening song, like their three amigos theme, and then I'll, then I'll blow it a little bit. I'll cup the balls now. Um, there, when I watched it again, the thing that I really watched it for was the interactions between these. And there are some moments where Chevy Chase will just throw in a final, just quick reaction to something that someone says that's genuine, horrible villain that shows up Magnificent Seven style to just fuck with this little town. But back home, there's this kind of plethora. Yeah, like him being slightly vain and, and even his relationship with his right hand man when he's giving him shit about the plethora thing, find the, the whole sequence where they go to uh, find the singing bush and they accidentally kill the invisible swordsman. And they're almost tonally wrong for the film, because aside from that and the, the talk and turtle, there's not a lot of surrealism the comedic style that's why i think it works though that's why i think it's funny because it seems yeah. to come out of nowhere and it doesn't fit and to me the best part about that scene is the fact that after they have they're you know they're done with the bush like we're not getting any response from you so we're gonna you know we're doing this shit on our own the bush is still singing in the background and at the yeah. end of that scene the last thing you get is a shot of that bush still singing to me, that is just fucking hilarious. I love it. And that's why it is, because it, it doesn't go. Like, it, it doesn't. And, like, the scene that you were talking about with the animals in the desert, I love that scene because the backdrop, the colors, it's so obviously fake that you can't even pretend yeah. like they thought they were trying to be. I mean, obviously, they they were going for fake. And to me, that just makes it funny. I, I love that you've got this coyote that just comes and stands up there and you've got this bobcat that comes in and they're just at the end, they're just kind of chilling, like looking around. I mean, I'm actually look during that entire coyote, just kind of look around like, yeah, I'm standing here, but you know, I'm doing my thing. But, um, and I don't know. I'm so I have, I honestly don't even know what is happening while they're singing, but when they, when they're doing when and so I'm aware of the song, but when they're talking during that scene, I have no idea what they're saying because I'm actually paying attention to everything that's going on around them. Um, and uh, I one of the the one thing that really, really, really works for me and it's the simplest joke ever. But for me, I just I it had me in stitches was when um, the girl's talking to Chevy Chase. And she, it's so is, funny to me. It, is pretty great. Like uh, my favorite, honestly, my favorite joke in the entire movie is Martin. She and it him telling this nothing. very, yeah, that kind of Bane Hollywood story of like Dorothy Gish came story. to me and said, <laughs> and their you know, faces don't change their faces. Right, blank stares. That whole, that to me is the funniest joke in the movie. Or when and, he's talking to the old woman, when she's sewing and he's like, so you, what does he call her? You old yeah, something old, something about a woman. She's just she. Her face. Every time you see that old woman, her face is always just as stoic as 
and like she never changes her expression through the entire movie and you see her probably three or four times you her face never changes and i just think that's why you know what this movie is funnier than i thought it was <laughs> there, <laughs> like there are moments maybe is that there there are flashes of genius in it for me but it just doesn't all hang together right and i and i i will i am more likely to go uh, than than i have been in the past but I mean, there's still stuff that just doesn't work, in my opinion. Like, again, senses of humor, like, uh, you know, senses of horror. Everybody's got their own flavor, and, and I'm not never going to tell somebody that something that makes them laugh isn't funny. Uh, I can just say it's not funny to me. Also, it doesn't help in this movie that the, the main characters are kind of introduced as assholes. Like, when they show up demanding the money in the, in the studio, I think it makes them really unlikable. For the first part. And I mean, when they get to Mexico and it's supposed to be about them being kind of cowards, which is another super funny sequence. Like when Mar Steve Martin making the realization that it's for realsies yeah. is a gr like he's he's just a gringer to, oh, my God, we're going to die is you guys, fantastic. Have any of you seen the the uncut version? Rumor has it there is one out there. But this, I so I'm, I'm reading that Landis was on trial over the. Twilight Zone tragedy during this and the studio heavily edited this, this film after he submitted the final cut. I'm curious if a, like a, oh, wow. a, a fully realized version of this is out there. And I if, have not heard that. Yeah, it's Wikipedia, so it could be <laughs> rumors or lies, but I think for the most part, Wikipedia is pretty accurate. No, it's probably dumb of me to say, but I'm curious if that exists and if it does, how that changes the film. I wonder if it gives the film maybe a little more bite because it feels very yeah. broad and, and, and unlike something like Blazing Saddles, which is a movie that is all about taking chances. Right. This is not a movie interested in doing that. Yeah. It's, so and listening to all your opinions is I, I'm wondering, this feels very much like a here's a small group of friends. They all come from SNL, including Lauren Michaels, who heads and probably finances the project or at least is in charge of getting the money for it. Like all these little things are funny to them personally. That's clear, right? And I think Jamie kind of touched on one of the highlights of the movie because it's something that it, I perked up and noticed and realized that that's sort of funny because they're sitting behind badly cardboard-painted scenery and these wild animals that normally you take a pop shot at and kill and probably cook for dinner afterwards are just sort of in frame. I find that hilarious. Probably the funniest part of the movie. Yeah. It worked for me. It, it it was almost like um, it felt like a Snow White or a Cinderella moment, you know. Where yeah, I think at this point when you're watching this movie, it, whether you find it funny or not, it's at the point you realize, oh, I think I know what they're trying to do here. And whether that's successful to each is, you know, for each individual to decide, I guess, when watching it. Yeah, it, it's not one of those things that I, I like. I don't think Three Amigos translates the way that something like Ghostbusters does. I'll have yeah, you know we have a Mexican restaurant in town here called Three Amigos. So there you have, have it. have a restaurant called Ghostbusters? No, I wish I did. Oh, man. When I, was, when I was a kid, like, seriously, like 1980, we went to see Airplane in the theater with my grandmother. I know I'm kind of going off base here, but I oh, laughed through the whole thing because I thought it was just friggin' hilarious. And when we left the theater, my grandmother was furious she was angry that I thought that that movie was funny. And I asked her why, what's, what is the problem? And she looked at me 
just as serious as she could. He said, because all those people were going to die. It's a, a funny thing in the movie that it's like as like a lot of people are murdered in this movie. And and it, it gets kind of glossed over like uh, all of El Guapo's men are just massacred. Yeah, but it's like that Western kind of murder, you know, where you shoot them. There's no blood. They just fall over and it doesn't it's very sure. un- inconsequential. Like it, it's like they never even were there. You know, I feel more sorry for the horses that like tripped and they get tripped into falling into the mud. I'm like, oh, Man, I mean, they get know, up, you know, so that's good. Not to they turn fare better in. than the horses and long riders. <laughs> well, sure. That not not to turn this into a hey you know what else was funny, but the physical <laughs> comedy of Martin Short with the the bigger gun yeah is oh, that really that's really good too. Um, I yeah I, I mean I wish that the movie was as funny as that all of the time and, or to me and I you know there there are definitely moments and and for it being a you know what hour forty five um, yeah. It, you know, apparently they didn't cut it enough. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Cause it's really long for a comedy. It is. I mean, it is. If you were gonna, it's not Apatow level link. I'm kind of wondering if that, if that edited thing is true, like how long was this movie? If, if they cut it to an hour and 45 minutes, I mean, what was blues brothers? It was two yeah, right two, at two, two plus hours. Yeah. So, See, and as not... much as I as much as I love Blues Brothers, and I do a lot, I almost get fatigued with that film. Like, every time I watch it, I'm like, it's it's a little, it's much. a little much, you know. Um, it's like having an ultra long slasher. It just it doesn't go like you. It's it's I don't know. You don't need it and nice and trim and um. And tell me this now: is this because? Uh, it was this way or is this because it has been, you know, 30 years and um, I've seen a lot of movies in, in since then. But even back then, were these jokes as telegraphed as they are now or as as obvious as they are now? Like, for instance, when they walk into the bar or when the German walks into the bar and he's like, you know, my friends are going to show up and tell him to wait. And, you know, immediately okay, well, they're going to show up, you know, and then so they show up and everybody's afraid of them, you know, which I think is actually kind of a funny, I think that that bit's funny. I don't like the song, but I think that that, that little bit's funny. And then they leave and then the real, I mean, they're like, okay, well, here come the real guys. And then the real guys show up and you're like, they're going to kill it. I mean, you just kind of see everything coming. And at the time, did you see everything coming then? Or if it's, you know, just they are now. They were definitely telegraphed, but I think part of the joy of it back in 86 was watching how they would work that out. It's almost like writing yourself into a corner and Mm -hmm. then just challenging yourself to get out of that corner and make everything work. That was so fun for that. So, yeah, definitely telegraphed, but fun to watch them just kind of try to subvert the standard ways that you would get out of that. So this is where we're going to end up. Let's see how they take us there. Right, right, right. Okay. Okay. Yeah, me myself. I, I think this movie okay. It's like you guys say. It's, it's not. It's not funny. But what, like X said, they they were going for like that old timey western at a time where they were making like like seventies westerns, sixties westerns, spaghetti westerns. You know, and it shows me had Ricky Nelson and Dean Martin, where they had Ricky Nelson and Dean Martin singing in the movie because guess what? They're singers, and you know we. 
with the exception of my little buttercup where I mentioned on Facebook, where the guy looks just like my friend Roger, which he says, no reference to you guys, but to me, it's fucking hilarious, you know, that this is like my friend in about 20 years, they could be tending bar in Santa Poco, you know, um, yeah, the jokes, some of the jokes still work, like, I think the, we didn't mention yet, the, when they're riding through the desert, and Steve Martin and, and uh, Martin Short are on the verge of heat stroke, and they have Martin Short of sand in his canteen, and uh, Steve Martin has, like, a drop of water in his canteen, and there's there's Chevy Chase with a full canteen just bathing in the fucking, uh, the, the, the drink, you know, spitting it out, and he ends the gag with him throwing it on the ground with still water in it, and just says, you know, lip balm? Like, he's not affected yeah. by the heat, it's, you know? It's a solid gag, yeah. It is a solid gag. Uh, El Guapo's great, great, great bad guy. You know, funny, but serious. And the whole idea of them, the, the centerpiece of having, them having him a birthday party. Why they invited these Swiss dudes or German dudes to the party, I have no idea. Were they selling them guns? or they? I, I don't know. It's probably something like yeah, that. that. Yeah, that was the deal, was that they were buying guns from the nazis i think like the most powerful part of this film is you know like like you guys said martin short's turn is like that serious thing but because he's the only one that would have any any thing because to do really like actual gunfighting whereas they said that you know when the guy mentioned that you know oh they use trick photography that's what i kind of lost faith in you like well he i'm actual I, i actually learned how to shoot those guns but the part at the end which is kind of unbelievable was when they, like, sprung into action like they didn't have stuntmen on these movies because, you know, they, they they probably have done that before, but that that part at the end was a little bit a little bit far-fetched, but as, as far as the film goes, I I could, uh, yeah, feel that. But, um, I, yeah, a lot of stuff was said already, and I, I'm going to leave it to say that I dig it enough for on a rewatch. That's what they go back to all the time, but I'm going to, um... And my schmiel there, because Mike Murphy's got to go, for sure, man. But I'm going to um, ask anybody else anything final to say about the film. I'll start with Mike. No. No. <laughs> <laughs> I think I said my piece. You know, it, it's, I always say it deserved to be seen at least once. So give it a give it an opportunity and form your own opinion, really. As for me, never again. Fair enough. Bo. Yeah, I like I said, I like this more this time around. I it's one of those things. If somebody tells me that they love Three Amigos, I'm like, I get it. I'm not, you know, I I don't have the same response to it, but I I can see that if if the the stuff that I don't find funny about it works for somebody else, then it's a great comedy. Cool, Jamie. Um, yeah, I mean, like I said, it's actually funnier to me now than it was when I started this podcast. <laughs> so, um. I, I'll probably watch it again in another 30 years or so just to refresh myself, <laughs> but uh, it's not what I'm going to go back to a lot, but if if it's on, I'm, I'm not going to turn it off. I'm not going to be mad about it. I do enjoy it. It's just, um, it's not a favorite. Cool. X. I will watch it again within the next month because I love this movie. It just makes me very, very happy. So, yeah, I, I, I guess I'm the one guy on the panel who's oh really enjoying this movie. It's me, so fair enough, man. I'll ask Mike one to ten. What is your rating, sir? One to ten. I'll come in with a four. Fair enough. As high as the higher the touch we're gonna go, so <laughs> uh Jamie. 
going to say 6.5. Fair enough. Uh, Bo? Yeah, I'm going to go a solid 6. Fair enough. X? 9. 9. Uh is something I enjoy. That surprises but... me. Gary, I honestly expected this to be a movie that you loved, Gary. Like seriously. It's it's still better than spies it's still better than spies like us. You know, so there there's that. Yep, 100%. You know. <laughs> Man, I loved spies like us, but I haven't seen that one in a long time either. But I used to love it. Oh boy. I'll I'll go to Mike first. Mike who's who have heralded on the show for one of those guys that got me into podcasting and uh it's kind of a kind of a mentor in in a way, but um, tell the folks about BB BB and BC podcast or where they could find it, sir. Hey, this is a, a episode one hundred of Cinema Beef. Episode one hundred, the official one, yeah. All right, I'm gonna say congratulations on your one hundredth episode. That is a long journey. You have to be dedicated to reach this sort of pinnacle, and I am not gonna send an an MP3 since I'm on the episode. Yes, because honestly, you guys. You know, we're all veteran podcasters here. It takes pretty serious dedication to to hit. Commit. Anyway, bbnbcpodcast.com. Just go there and we cover all kinds of movies, all genres. So, oh, and I, it's, I always forget to mention Mark Searing and Iris Saravia. So they're they're part of the yeah, show get, as get well. Dep- so there you have it. Lemon socks out, folks. He's going to get sticky, man. Listen to that it's, show. It's ugly. We cover some pretty horrible films and and you know if you want to compare some of the films we cover on that show then three amigos is a fucking oscar winner i enjoyed the kindergarten ninja conversation by the way and the, and the <laughs> interview it was kind of good yeah interview was far better for sure oh boy bo tell the folks about all your stuff buddy uh yeah uh, just check out everything out on legionpodcasts.com where you can see uh, or hear this fine show uh, as well. Uh, and, and yeah, a big congratulations, man. That's, uh, as, as Mike was saying, man, that's, a, that, that's no, no mean feat uh, to, to make it 100 episodes. And uh, um, it, it, it blows my mind how, how you managed to do it. So well done, sir. Well done. I thank you. I thank you. Like both of Move on to our next segment right after this. Did you ever see a film at such a young age it left you traumatized with cinematic wounds? Ah, necrophilia. It's a dead issue, man. Don't don't push it. Cinema PsyOps is a weekly podcast documenting an ongoing experiment on the mind of an unwilling test subject. No one should have to watch this movie. Oh, no one should have to watch this. No one should have to watch this movie. Surprisingly, it's not a topic that a lot of people really want to tackle. I'm shocked, prudes. I know, really. Right? It's the next sexual frontier that no one wants to explore. I am, in the most sincerest of senses, disappointed in you. It takes a powerful goddess like Connie, jam her arm down the monster's throat and kill it. I'm still tripping out over that. Even as a kid, I was like, I gotta find a girl like that. Every week, I, I get a new look of disappointment that I never thought I could get it's out of. Unimaginable. At 12 years old, you should not be watching this movie. Obviously. At 13, you should not be. 14, you shouldn't be. I'm not entirely sure even 17 year olds should be watching this. Just because you're offended by something doesn't mean that you have the right to demand that it doesn't exist. Watching this film again, I had all of this like little nerd glee with everything Dude, that kept little history up. doll yeah, popping up absolutely. at you. So I totally loved this film. Hey, I know why you you know, couldn't see that. It's because your brain's warped watching this shit at 12 years old. Yeah, this is this is a rough movie. I told you ahead of time when we were getting ready to do it that it was. How did you watch movie. this shit at 12? 
Because physical wounds heal, cinematic ones don't. Listen to Cinema Psyops. One dark and stormy night in the mid-80s, Joe Bob Briggs, Harlan Ellison, and the ghost of El Santo pulled a train on Elvira while Siskel and Ebert sobbingly masturbated in the corner. From that union arose the greatest movie critic and luchador that ever lived. But we're not going to talk about him. He's kind of a dick. Instead, we're going to talk about me, El Goro, the stuttering movie fan and host of the Talk Without Rhythm podcast. Every week on Talk Without Rhythm, I discuss two to three movies tangentially tied together by a theme. I cover action. And the most complete fighter in the world. Sci-fi. Open the pod bay doors, Hell. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Horror. Oh, no tears, please. It's a waste of good suffering. And the continuing adventures of James Spader, sexual deviant. You're not worried that I'm going to fuck you, are you? I'm not interested in that, and I'm the least. Now pull up your skirt. So check me out at TWORpodcast.blogspot.com, drunkenzombie.com, or subscribe on iTunes. Talk Without Rhythm, the only podcast that will not attract the world. Adios! In the far reaches of the galaxy... A civilization is under siege. We are all that is left. They've searched the universe for a leader. Stay tuned for scenes from next week's Galaxy Quest. Never give up. Never surrender. You will save us. What they got. Never give up. And never surrender. We're struggling TV actors. You are our last hope. Where's my limo? Okie dokie. And they're about to put on a command performance. Eight million light years away. We are actors, not astronauts. You are our protectors. That was a hell of a thing. Now. Laredo, take us out. You gotta move to the right. Would you sit your ass down? You wanna drive this to... Acting like heroes. The whole thing was just a misunderstanding. May not be enough. They look like little children. Hi, little guy. I'm done. DreamWorks Pictures presents Tim Allen, Sigourney Weaver, Alan Rickman, Galaxy Quest. You're just gonna have to kill it. We'll go for the mouth, the throw, his body. It's a rocket that not even thought of a spot! Welcome back again to the Sin Beef Podcast, uh, 100th episode. Uh, with me on this segment is uh, some of you know and love, Mr. Court Syops. How you doing, sir? I am doing excellent. I am so glad to be here to help you guys celebrate your 100th episode. This is a milestone. It's amazing. Casting uh, nice and, and friends, so... I'm so glad I could at least attempt to repay that to be here. I love the show, and uh, I'm going to be a lifelong fan as long as you keep putting them out. So I'm I'm glad to be here. Big old twisted family we are, right? <laughs> Absolutely. That's the thing I love the most about podcasting. It is the community that the hardcore punk scene that I used to love always pretended to be. Fair enough. 
And with us, that masked luchador, the Talk Without Rhythm podcast. Good, man, and congratulations on hitting the big 100. It's a hell of an accomplishment, so congratulations to you. Were you guys at like 400 now, Agoro? Well, technically I'm working on episode 399, so we're not quite there yet. Pretty damn close, though, man. Almost there. (laughs) How are you, sir? I'm good. It's uh, snowing outside, which I absolutely love. Maybe maybe not as much as some people are getting right now, but uh, I dig the snow, and I'm enjoying it. Cool. Uh, I know some folks may listen to your show. I know myself and Court listen to your show. What's all about it, man? Uh, yeah, the uh, Talk Without Rhythm podcast. Uh, I've been doing it for coming up on eight years now. Uh, every episode, I pick two films that are in some way tied together with a theme. And uh, yeah, just kind of talk about them. It's, uh, it started off with a co-host, but I've been doing it solo for the past couple of years now with the occasional guest host on it. And the episode I'm currently working on right now is kind of keeping in with the whole winter Christmassy theme with a uh, slight horror twist onto it. I'm going to be taking a look at Tales from the Crypt from 1972, specifically because it's got that awesome segment and all through the house with the crazy Santa Claus. And I'm also taking a look at Ghost Story from 1981, the adaptation of the Peter Straub novel that uh, has a really solid winter setting. Yeah, I think about Santa Claus in that segment, but I think about Joan Collins more, I think. That's about right. Damn, you know. Damn. (laughs) I think about the blood that turns pink when it's getting washed down the sink. Yes. Hell yeah. It's a, it's that European influence on things. It either looks like red paint or meat juice. It's that Kensington gore. I have a whole diatribe about fake blood, but we'll be here for three hours if I talk that. Fair. But we're here to talk about Galaxy Quest, uh, seg number whatever this is in this episode. I haven't decided how to or- put these in orders, but um, damn sure glad you guys showed up. But uh, if you guys haven't seen them before, Galaxy Quest is about a uh, crew uh, on, on a faux Star Trek TV show called Galaxy Quest who uh, get called up to space because some aliens watched their, their stuff and thought, thought it was for real and they have a real alien menace after them and they're put in a situation to where they, they have to fight for these people and I, I think it's a, it's a lot of fun. El Goro and I uh, ask him what he thought of the film. Oh, I love Galaxy Quest. I remember seeing it um, back when it came out in 99. And at first, I didn't think I thought um, it wasn't going to be much of anything. I mean, you saw the I saw the initial trailers for it. It kind of looked cheesy. Tim Allen was kind of on a lower ebb of his career. I mean, it was a home improvement guy slash Buzz Lightyear. You know, I didn't really think that there was too much going for it. Really, it was the presence of Sigourney Weaver in this that brought me in because I'm a huge Alien fan. But as soon as I saw it, I fell in love with this movie. It is the perfect satire and also celebration of Star Trek as a whole. Cool. Um, Court. I'd like to just carbon copy everything that goes. We don't yeah, speak. <laughs> we, we don't speak the name. We don't. We don't say that it's obviously Star Trek, but it is obviously Star Trek. And yeah. we're not. We're not going to say that Nesmith is obviously the Shat, but he's obviously the Shat. <laughs> But, I mean, you got this amazing cast, and now I didn't happen to see any of the trailers for it, and I didn't happen to just be able to catch it in theaters or anything like that. This was one of those flipping through channels late at night when I should be sleeping, but insomnia is being a bitch. I, and I think I might have seen uh, Alan Rickman as uh, Alexander Dane or Sir Alexander Dane, however you want to rephrase it, doing one of his, I think it might have been the Bikrapthas Hammer. Oh, what a savings. And I just lost my shit. 
because I, I like I got it instantly. I knew exactly what this movie was doing. That it was referencing Star Trek. I just completely fell in love with it and finished the movie. And I've probably watched it more times than any horror movie that I love, just because it's one of those things that just sucks you in and you catch it on cable no matter where it is in the film you're going to watch it that's just it's one of those films uh jamie okay well first of all i would like to remark on goro's voice over there wow that's that's epic (laughs) (laughs) he started talking and i was like shit (laughs) um this movie i i remember when it came out i remember the trailers and the first thing i remember thinking from when i saw the trailer was Holy hell, Sigourney Weaver looks really great in this movie. Like I just Dude, right? With her, with her boobs popped up and the blonde hair. I really I don't know. I think she should have kept that look because she was hot. And um not that there's anything wrong with Sigourney Weaver, period, but I was just I just remember thinking at the time, like, damn. And I didn't go see it then, but a friend of mine rented it after it after it came out and i was over at his place and i watched most of it but we were also there were a bunch of us around and we were like drinking and stuff and i didn't catch the whole thing so i honestly had not seen the whole thing until this show and so when i mentioned it that i was going to be watching it for this show this is one that brian got excited about he's like i'll watch that one with you and we watch that and already with it but i was really enjoying going through my mind the entire time is that old basically some aliens an alien and they are just now getting the signals for it hiring them to finish the show and they actually thought it was real it was um an interesting concept that you know aliens out there are and i love the fact that they interpret it as you know historical <laughs> when, when they're watching it and i also love the fact that when uh, when it's time to beat the bad guy they just show a clip just a just a tiny clip to sarah's because and because he has the capacity to understand the practice of deception he gets it immediately which i think is great there's absolutely no here watch this and then he's like oh you're liars i mean that's what that's you know the uh, the that's how that ends up. I think that's that just cracks me up, and it's just they we we have no concept of deception, like we don't get it, and uh, so they just take everything at face value. He, on the other hand, being the evil guy, um, obviously does have that concept, and so he gets it right away. I think that's great. Um, this is a, I loved, uh, hated to see him go. Uh, he was always just classic. His delivery and everything is spot on. And it works particularly well for this character where he's just done with it. Like he is done with the whole thing. He's, and I love the scene where they're signing autographs and he just, and everyone tries to <laughs> quote the line to him. And he's just like, eventually gets to where he just snatches the picture out of their hand, signs it and pushes them along. He's like, yeah, that's enough. Get out of here. You know, it's, um, it's those stars that you come into contact with who, on one hand, they can be really appreciative and the fans and and the attention. And then you have the ones who've just been doing it for so long, they don't they just don't want to deal with it anymore. And some of the Star Trek cast and and just, and the way that they interact with each other uh, is pretty telling. It's um, 
and Justin Long, oh, a tiny little young Justin Long. <laughs> it was so funny. I'm like, because I just heard his voice. I mean, he he looked like um, he looked like Will Wheaton from his Star Trek days. Like he was, you know, wearing the the costume, and he's all. That was great. I was waiting for. I thought since he had the transmitter thing that he might act either accidentally beam himself up there, there. And so I was kind of waiting for that moment and it ended up not happening. He did. He was doing like a long distance IT thing, but uh, <laughs> that's basically what he was. Thinking. Yeah. Total tech support call. Yeah. <laughs> oh, totally. Interstellar tech support. In the middle of this, in the middle of this huge battle, he has to go out and take the garbage out. <laughs> He's Mom, you have no idea. <laughs> it's imperative that I help the cab commander, mother. This is this is of the utmost importance. Movie so much because there's plenty of things out there that take shots at the fans. You know, there was the Trekkies documentary. There's a lot of things around pointing and making fun of people that are legitimately into this. And one thing Galaxy Quest that does differently is, yeah, they acknowledge that the fans may be a little bit awkward, but at the end of the day, they're the ones who save everybody's life. They're the ones who are so devoted to it that they actually provide the knowledge that's necessary. It's uh, one of those that becomes popular. It is ultimately saved by the passion of the fan. And that's one thing I'm so appreciative for this movie, that genuine affection for the material that's true and uh, you often see what i'm most familiar with and if you watch special features or you watch like behind the scene things it's it always cracks me up that fans know far more about the material than the stars who are in it and that's basically because you know hey i did this movie 30 years ago I haven't really thought about it that much since then you know apart from this stuff but like the the behind the scenes stuff you know, fans will be like, oh, this is where you filmed. Or like, okay, if you say so, I don't know, maybe. <laughs> um, you know, I watched that. One of my favorite references to that is the um, – actually, there are two. One is um, that they took when one of the Dawn of the Deads came out, and um, they're walking around with Peter, and they're like, you know, oh, and I remember this that scene, and, and this store was over here. And he's like, sure, I don't know, <laughs> if, you, if you say so. And then the, on the Monty Python – uh, Holy Grail DVD that came out there was a they did a tour of sets and or like where shooting locations and those guys and of course that was way back but those guys didn't remember dick and I was <laughs> like you know it it I mean it kind of makes sense you know as you're if you're in the film it's not likely the most important thing in your life ever but to a huge fan of that life or something that they devote a lot of time to. And uh, that's, you know, that's it shows here, you know, they're just like, I don't know, whatever. And um, these fans have, I mean, they've met, I love it when he's calling his other fan friends, when he's calling, he's got all the nerds on the line and they're like, you know, I've got this whole thing mapped out and, you know, of this place that never existed, but they have this, intricate detailed interior mapped out design of everything and how it works and uh, that's really that's fantastic but yeah it paints them in a good light and that's a good thing too Excellent. easy to make fun of the whole star trek kind of uh format they're all pretty much the same i mean you get a spaceship you get a diverse crew and one of them's probably an alien and they go to different planets 
and they've all got breathable atmospheres and they're all inhabited by bipedal humanoids who at least have a rudimentary understanding of the English language, which is weird. And sometimes things happen on the ship you got to deal with, and sometimes things happen on the planet. And it's usually there's something on the ship and the planet at the same time. And then somebody has a brilliant idea, and they bounce that positron particle beam across. Hey, this is easy. Seth MacFarlane can do it. Really good is a tiny miracle. And I think the reason he, he is an true. asshole, but he's desperate to prove his masculinity. And he is surrounded by people who are far better actors than he is. I mean, shit. We've already talked about the cast. Nobody's mentioned Sam Rockwell yet. He's amazing in this. God, Alan he is. is. Alan's the weakest link in the chain, and he's still a damn strong link. Now, now, now as Ratner, but he's a far more relatable fool. Stan Winston creature effects, so there you go. I did. <laughs> she is such a comedian. The... <laughs> I know this to be true. Uh, I mean, she's just not afraid to do whatever it takes to get into a role and she just about makes the whole movie for me um i think the thing with the communicator communicator range sometimes i mean no I, I dude can know. i call they've the international space a... building call to the next room with holes like who's going to pay for destroying that building the con does anyway it's still a great movie people have been talking about a sequel to this movie for years and i don't want one i don't think it needs one i think a sequel would just cheapen the original, because this movie's really smart. It's really fun. transcends that whole, oh, it's a Star Trek parody. Long, so why not? Um, another thing about that crashing into the building that I think is hilarious is that they're all like shooting out of the way. It, I mean, someone could have gotten cheering. It, it would, it would be. <laughs> they were supposed to protect us. <laughs> it is called the protector after all. It's true. This they're all great individual kids. Not all of them, to me. Like the part where, like, they're like gonna cry. Excited about doing stuff, and and he gets. Oh, I love the else is losing their shit, and he arrives and he goes. <laughs> like, you instantly there. fall in love with them. Yeah. You keep doing this, guys. That's not a good idea. <laughs> and it was there wasn't uh, there was something I missed with this character, and so and before I started looking or uh, reading up on the film, the the fact that he is meant to be playing an Asian character that his uh, character's name on the show is Chen, that he mentions that his name, Fred Kwan, isn't really his real name, and that when he ever gets into uh, its Tech Sergeant Chen mode, he actually squints his eyes slightly to make himself look more Asian. Yeah, and if you pay attention to the, the scenes of the actual show, he's got eyeliner and stuff to accent <laughs> that while he's squinting. That's so, that's so funny. though. No. Oh, sure. <laughs> At least he's not an Asian face like Sean Connery in, in those James Bond, the one James Bond movie, you know. Oh. Yeah. Doing yeah. Christopher Lee and that kind of thing. Oh. oh. Yeah. <laughs> or even worse, Peter Sellers in uh, Murder by Death, right? Or no. No, yeah, it's Murder by Death. <laughs> he gets the girl in the end, even though she's very Lovecraftian. She's, uh, she's still hot, you know. she got that going on, you know. I'll bet those tentacles. Definitely. That was that was a P that he saw. I think it's all about the tentacles, you know. Just, there no. it is. There you go. Once you go cephalopod, you see God. <laughs> yes, <laughs> because old ones, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I was sticking my hands above my head, you know, but that's uh, you can't. See oh, the that. aliens guy. <laughs> yeah, you can't see that in podcast land. Yes. <laughs> and it's weird to think that he originally uh, auditioned for the role of Guy. It was interesting to think how Tony Shalhoub would have played the, that character. But Sam Rockwell is just so goddamn perfect. Well, and the fact, 
They read that right. And he's basically playing it like Bill Paxton from Aliens. At any moment, you expect him to start yelling out, Game over, man! Well, he does have that moment where he screams, I died in episode 81, or the yep. end of episode 81. And I love the retort to that where Sigourney Weaver's like, we gotta get out of here before these little things kill Guy! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this movie is extremely quotable. I, I can't... I, I can't count the number of times that I have said by Grabthar's hammer, what a savings when I'm at a store and see a really good sale or a clearance. And my well, wife could attest to that. Should die. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, fuck that. This was poorly written, even though they edited that down to we'll screw that. She's clearly mouthing the word. Fuck that. Okay. I thought that too. So I was like, am I crazy or did she just say fuck? And, and, um, okay. So I wasn't crazy. That is actually what she said. Okay. I think they originally were going to target like an R rating, but they needed it to be PG-13 because it's a little outlandish. So they, they dialed some of the stuff back a little bit to get more butts in the seats. And it's funny that they scaled it all the way back that it came in with a PG rating. Because if they had gone with PG-13, they would have been able to drop one fuck, you know? Which would have been perfect for her to say, well, fuck that. Exactly. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> that yeah, I think I remember thinking, well, when I was watching it, I was thinking it, I thought that that's what she said or you know like looking at her lips and i'm like god i just think it would have been funnier if that had been what she said just because it you know because of her character and i thought that would have been greater but you know yeah i was, I was watching today one of my one of the scenes i never laughed at before until today because i didn't catch what was going on all the way is what peter taggart uh jason nesmith and he's 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 got his ass in the air he's clearly not wearing any pants He's telling them, you see their shoe looks like this. You know, they're all, what did he say? Um, this is a sign of the commando I've never seen before or some shit like that. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a simple joke, but you can't stop laughing at it. You know, it's, it's, and, um, yeah, I, 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 I love I, that they start looking around the ceiling. They were like, he's like, you know, see if you can find another shoe. It looks like this. And they're looking all up and around. And I don't know. I just think that's really, I don't know that that cracked me up. It's my favorite, my favorite line is still, does the rolling help? And I say that way too much. Nobody <laughs> ever understands what I'm talking about. Yeah. <laughs> one me and my friends use, especially if, if one of our, one in our group is just not getting it, inevitably somebody will say, explain it to him as you would a child. <laughs> well, the, the aftermath of him rolling is, is him, the shirt not fitting all the way, so he has to pull it down because he's putting a little yeah. weight, you know? Um, yeah, so much little stuff. One of my favorite things was, um, I forget, I forget the damn creature's name, but the pig lizard fight, that's probably my favorite creature in the whole movie, because he looked, he looked pretty cool, and, but he was very slow, but he was, he's, he's probably the best looking creature in the whole film. Can you make a weapon? Can you form a rudimentary lathe? I said that. <laughs> the, can you form a rudimentary lathe was my shoot anything, it was like the first thing I would say to somebody at any job, and it gets to the point where somebody's like, no, no, I can't. Like, before I even get to say it. <laughs> I was like, he, he turned wrong side out. And then he exploded. <laughs> Did he just say it exploded? <laughs> That's a line I use. And then he exploded. <laughs> oh, I, I love that they're wearing, like, their, their, their fake convention outfits throughout the whole movie, so that they're, like, felt and shitty, so... Which really helps in my my mail end towards the end because when uh, when Sigourney Weaver's outfit gets torn, all you see is like her her titties just hanging out to, like the last t last act of that movie. Jamie said it's probably the sexiest she's ever looked. 
Well, I watched Heartbreakers as well. I've seen that once. She looked pretty good <laughs> in that movie as well. It's not a good movie, but she looked pretty good in it. I was just really digging her with that blonde hair. I don't know what like that, man. Though according to her, as soon as she saw herself in the blonde wig, she said, it felt like my IQ just dropped precipitously. She did just read the, the goddamn computer. That was only her only job, apparently, so... I have one job on this ship. It's stupid. Stupid. <laughs> Even in the as end. a blonde, I, t- I as a blonde, I I have issue with that statement. <laughs> well, there you go. Take it up with Sigourney Weaver. <laughs> Take it up with your xenomorph god. Okay, what well, god is? So uh... <laughs> never meet your heroes. They will only disappoint you. Oh, that's lies. <laughs> you know that. You know. Oh my god. Yeah, there's a lot, lot, a whole lot to like. I, I forget even made this movie, but um, yeah, Tim Allen I think was on this point in my life to where he's making a lot of stuff I liked because he was right in that transition period between you know the and big troubles of film that a lot of folks pro- probably saw, but it's a film I enjoy. And but then his next year would have been that Last Man Standing thing where he's just throwing his politics in our face like every episode. And I, I like that that middle area, Tim Allen, to me because he, he he works really well in this movie and the part where he's upset because some punks are making fun of him in the bathroom. <laughs> Boo fucking who. He was fucking like signing literally like Bill Shatner signs now to where he, but Bill's a little more, um, a little more smug about it. Like, yeah, here, $75. Here's your autograph, 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 autograph. It's like, yeah, it's kind of, that's never paid for him. I'm, I'm so glad that he's not my captain. That they'd be, they'd be uh, Sir Patrick Stewart. Who's I seen once of the show and he was a lot more, he wanted to talk to folks. He was a lot more funny and a lot more, I'm not telling you to kiss my ass, but he's he seemed way more happy to be there than William Shatner ever will. Let's put it that way. And uh, I like that. And I like this movie. Um, creature effects, you know, lots of lots of practical creature effects. I mean, besides the little, like, uh, gray alien dudes with the, with the razor-sharp teeth, which are, which are terrifying to look at, but, you know, they're, they're very computer-generated, but Saris's... I like the fact that you had, like, the guys, like, his, his lieutenant and him were, like, you know, the good-looking ones that you had, like, the, the the outside ones. Even the outside ones look pretty good, too, though. And, uh, yeah, Stan Winston really helped uh, elevate this film. Um, as a, <laughs> I guess I would be a Trekkie, not a Trekker, if you ever watched that documentary before, you know, you know the difference. And then, uh... Mm-hmm. One runs down the aisle and the other one walks down the aisle to go get signatures. That's the, that's the difference in the documentary. Yeah. I uh I, I can get a lot of the nuances and I think a lot of folks that just have limited Star Trek knowledge w- would get that that's where they're going with this movie and that that helps you know to the masses to enjoy it not that I'm worried about what the masses think but I know this film is pretty well loved amongst my peers and uh I saw it in theaters which is, which is pretty awesome uh Rickman is, will always be missed and he's he's great in this movie Right, right down to the end, where he's, uh, I love the part where he's talking to himself in the mirror when they have to go out, and he's talking about I, I played something on stage, and they're all repeating what he was gonna say next, five curtain calls and shit like that. Like he just says it every time he has to go to one of these things, and it's fucking terrible. And ah, uh, and when uh, <laughs> Alexander's panic attack. <laughs> <laughs> Like they've just been doing these shows for so long. And I think that's kind of the best parody that this has is after the show of Star Trek ended, 
a lot of those actors and the actresses didn't really have much of a career. I mean, some of them did a few horror movies that I love and I think are their finest work. Um, mainly looking at Bill Shippis. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Not yeah. without the supernaturals with Michelle Nichols. <laughs> I just have not seen that X, but I'm I'm hunting it down. I'm looking for it. I won't leave it out. I just haven't found it yet. So on <laughs> Prime. I will definitely find it and I will watch it and I will probably love it. But their the post uh, Star Trek career where it was literally they were living essentially off the fandom and the the fervor and the love that the fans have where they continue to come see them to keep getting autographs and basically try and make them a part of their lives. That's captured so beautifully in this film at the beginning where even the other actors are pissed at Nesbitt, not because of how he treats them, but because how he ends up treating the fans. And that's where it really rings true about the chat, because that's one of the complaints that you tend to hear that a lot of the other people that were very happy to have the fans there to literally live off of. I mean, let's not mince words about it. You know, they're very happy to have the fans there to support them. And Shatner just kind of really had his period where he really looked down on them and talked shit. And now he needs them, but just doesn't really give them any mind still. Well, it's like it's like a, the, the comparison they make to Robert Englund and, and Doug Bradley. And, you know, Doug Bradley surprised the hell out of me this year because I think when I met him, um, shit, seven years ago, he was like at least forty dollars for the autograph. Robert is charging eighty now. Where Doug Bradley's at the point of his career where he's like, you know what, charge twenty dollars and not charge for a picture. You know, that's 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 the way it ought to be. Sid Haig, hear me, Sid Haig before. He charges ten dollars for anything you bring him. We'll take pictures for free, and Sid's like seventy-five. He's tired at the end of the day, but you know he sees everybody. But to, to see to see the um, Tim Allen's portrayal of, of William Shatner at a convention. If you ever seen him before, just just if you next time you guys go to one of these things, just look for him. You'll see the exact same thing that he's doing when he's in his angry mode, just pushing the pictures forward. You know that kind of deal, and it is sad. That it, like a, you look at you look at that, like I'm not gonna pay eighty dollars for that. Like I'll, I'll I'll move on and spend my money elsewhere. And yeah, smugs, but it's all good. Yeah, I have a, a woman that I used to work with used to when she lived in California. She used to help set up Star Trek conventions, mm-hmm. and she always said that William Shatner was the worst. He he was just like a diva, you know, and he was so hard to deal with, and he was so hard. He was just he was not cooperative he was complaining like he just no one wanted to deal with him but that the other cast members were all really gracious and wonderful but he was a pain in the ass and i I love how in this film they actually have him separate from everyone else like he has his own table um and of course that's because all the like he has all these massive fans and you know they have to make room uh but it just it just is another layer of of separation that you have between his attitude and their attitude. And how about autographs being 15 bucks? That's pretty awesome. <laughs> kind of makes you want to go back in time. <laughs> Particularly for the Star Trek crew, only 15 bucks. No, it's like 60 bucks. I, I, I've looked at some of the prices as people like this. They're really worth it. Yeah. Yeah. Some of it kind of is like, I remember when Walter coin, uh, uh, check off Walter, uh, Koenig. Koenig. Yeah. Koenig. His son, who played a uh, boner on on the gro- on growing pains, when he uh, killed himself, he did a show like almost the weekend after, and I, I took the time to to go to the table, 
and just just to go say, you know, I, I'm sorry about your did the same sort of thing to himself, and you know, when you're looking for support for that kind of thing, it's it's not always available. And he was so gracious and so so wonderful to just say. That's so he just came to his table to talk to him about that, you know, and like yeah, because usually it's very much you know take your thing and go kind of thing, and so that's that's the security guards as well. I mean, you you frequent these shows, Goro, quite a bit. You know how those security people are sometimes. Oh yeah, just m- move along kind of thing, and but yeah, some are real nice and some are real douches. Yeah, it's always great when you find a celebrity that will actually uh, look at the security or their handlers, and it's like, no, I'm having a conversation here. They can wait. Robert England was like that. That he he always felt anytime he goes met Robert England that he was legitimately psyched to give you a bit of his time. Because he's a talker. He he talks to talk a lot. Yep. And that line moves slow. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's probably why I tell him to move along. <laughs> oh, but I'm gonna ask El, uh, El Goro. Uh, anything else you want to say about the film, sir? No, I mean pretty much we've covered covered it all. This is a fantastic movie and. It's always remarkable going back to it because there'll be, you know, a couple of years sometimes between viewings for me, just how much it continues to hold up. That there are certain, certainly a lot of films from this period that have dated themselves in some way, whether it be the visual effects, whether it be any number of things. But Galaxy Quest continues to work to this day. And it's even more. Uh, I mean, there's the movies, while I, I kind of like them, they're not, they're certainly strayed far from what the television show was. Uh, Discovery, I haven't watched yet, but there's a lot of people on both sides of the fence concerning its quality. But it's nice that something like Galaxy Quest exists to, to kind of remind you, you know, what it was like when you were, when you were coming up in that start, when Star Trek was legitimately a thing. Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, I uh, I said it in all that. I mean, there's a lot of crap coming out right around time Galaxy Quest, like a lot of space stuff. Like I remember, I, remember, I seen Wing Commander in theaters. Oh God, I'm and, so sorry. And that wasn't very good. <laughs> you know? but, uh, and, this, and this was the time when Lost in Space was out. You know, I I don't I don't hate that movie. I mean, uh, okay, I'll, I'll get into that one day on this program. But I I, I liked it. <laughs> Put it that way. Fair enough. <laughs> uh, speaking of lo- lo- liking things, Jamie, anything else you want to say about it? Uh, no, I think, except that for me personally, I think it's a good thing that I didn't really pay as much attention back then and I did now because I don't think at the time when it came out, I would have appreciated it. I mean, I would have gotten it, yes, but I don't think I would have appreciated it because since then, since all my subsequent years and and being in the genre and working around things and being involved in things and seeing how they work, I have a deeper appreciation for it than I think I would have back then. And I kind of think that now it would probably do better if it were to come out now than it did back then, even because we have such a, I mean, conventions are such a huge deal. Now they're every, like every weekend, there's something going on. So it's, it's a huge culture thing. So I think that because I, I want to say I don't remember it doing all that well when it originally came out. That may be a, a misremembrance, but um, if that's even a word, but I, <laughs> but I'm not a hundred percent sure. Like I don't remember, but I want to say that I recall it not getting received all that well. Does yeah, anybody remember? Maybe not box office numbers. Probably not. But I'm sure it did well on on home video. See, so I think that. It maybe in today's climate, it might actually have done better just because 
conventions are such a bigger thing now than even they were back then. Even though they were a thing back then, now they're just – it's exploded. But, uh, I, yeah, I really, really, really enjoyed it. I can definitely see myself watching this a lot. It's super quotable, super fun, and, uh, yeah, I can't imagine anyone not liking it. Cool. Just to answer your question, Jamie, uh, uh, Galaxy Quest made $90.7 million in the U.S. against a budget of $45 million. All right, so it did okay. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty damn good. Success. X, anything else, sir? You know, I think we've done everything with this movie except sing the theme song to ourselves, so, um, no, I'm good. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> Court. I will just say that this film is essentially like having a nice cup of hot soup on an extremely cold day, and you're just comfort, you know, you're under the blanket, you're just kind of chilling on the couch. And just for that moment, everything feels right, even though the rest of the world is freezing outside. That's exactly what it feels like to watch this movie for me. Just that perfect balance of, of comfort and just knowing that even if everything else around me might be screwed up, I can enjoy this moment that I have right here. Nice, brother. Yeah, I, I think it, like, I mentioned this before, but a couple of things I mentioned that uh, there is at least one IDW comic book series out. Um that, that continues the adventures of this crew, if you guys want to check that out. And uh, Paul Shear um, is, is a big part of the creation of a Galaxy Quest TV show that's coming. I think it's co- it might be coming to Prime, I think. But he's, uh, if you don't know him, he's from The League, and he's uh, he's been in tons of stuff. But he is one-third of the podcast, How Did This Get Made, if you guys listen to that kind of thing. And uh, that's... a. Uh, Sounded really promising, actually. So I think that they may have some of the original cast members involved, but in limbo for a long time. But <clears throat> I think that they they filmed a pilot, or he wrote a pilot, one of the two. But I think it's it's a go at this point. So we'll see uh, what pans out about that. But um, good times. I'll uh, stick it straight to the left here, Court. What do you rate it one to ten, sir? I'm gonna give it a solid nine. It may not be a perfect film, but that's all about the enjoyment. I'm going to pull a Dave Z and give it a 7.5. If you pull a full Dave Z, it should be a 7.75, because I don't know if you knew that, but he in, he invented that, uh, that quarter points. He didn't invent it. He stole it from Jason <laughs> Lloyd. <laughs> no, it's, it's something from his show, so if he listens to this, he's going to appreciate that I made that reference. <laughs> You're going to clickety-clack that all the way to the bank, man. Clickety-clack. <laughs> hey, it's a thing. It, it is a thing, yes. Goro, 1 to 10, sir. I think I'm going to give it a nine as well. Uh, it's uh, just about to watch it. It's a classic when it was released, and it continues to be a classic today. Jamie? Okay, I think I'm going to slide right in the middle of you guys, if you don't mind, and give it an eight. Ooh. <laughs> I was going to say, no one will mind you sliding in the middle of anything, Jamie. <laughs> That's about time. <laughs> this, you get a podcast with four dudes. This is what happens, you know. <laughs> Talk about slide and sandwiches next, perhaps? I don't, I don't know. It would, ugh, man. Yeah, me, not a ten. Why do you think I have so many shows? <laughs> <laughs> she enjoys the company of men. Oh, my God. Not a ten well, for me as well. Go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> I was going to say, who doesn't on a, you know, cold winter's day? <laughs> Get naked for warmth, people. That's all I'm saying. 
Uh, yeah, great film, great time. I, I recommend it to anybody. Like I said, the Trekkie or the Trekker or the Trek novice. Uh, I think you'll. I think anybody would enjoy it. It's, it's a it's a great time all around. But well, speaking all around, I'll defer to our two guests here. El Goro, uh, tell the folks where they can find your show and you and all that good stuff, man. All right, man. Well, you can check me out if you want to at the main website, tworpodcast.blogspot.com, or you just do a search for Talk Without Rhythm. We're on iTunes. We're on pretty much anywhere else that you can find uh, podcasts. So, yeah, come listen. Cool. Court? Well, I'm also a proud member of the Legion Podcast Network, and I sincerely mean that. <laughs> I am very much proud to be a member. And you can find us legionpodcast.com forward slash cinema dash psyops. We're on iTunes, Stitcher, you know, all those places, Google Play, uh, various podcatchers throughout the universe and available through interstellar comms that for some reason work through a black hole, you know. <laughs> those, those historical documents got to get to them somehow, see. <laughs> well, that's, that's, that's how I'm going to view my podcast from here on out. It's now a historical document. Oh, God help me if any alien bases their civilization off of the shit I say. <laughs> yeah, uh, I just thought of that and oh, horrifying, totally horrifying. <laughs> Be a blasted Mad Max wasteland. <laughs> There'd be a lot of bondage gear and people doing weird things to squirrels and bit roasts. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> well, thank you guys all for uh, being a part of this episode. You guys have a court's been out here before, but... Goro, you're welcome to come back on here as well. Anytime uh, you feel you feeling froggy, man, come on the show. Oh, thank you much, man. I had a lot of fun, and once again, congratulations on that big 100. Thank you, my friend. And uh, we'll be back with something else, guys. Right after this. Hello. Have you ever heard of MSK 3000? Yeah, well, we ain't them, but we are movie fans who like to drink and talk shit about our favorite movies. So join me, your host, Nudie, along with my co-host, Jake the Snake, and special guest stars as we dissect our favorite, or maybe not-so-favorite movies, on the NFW Podcast, otherwise known as No Fucking Way. You can catch us on Heartophilia, and also at NFW underscore podcast on Twitter, or NFWpodcast at yahoo.com. MGM presents Westworld. Your attention, please. We will soon be landing at Westworld, the ultimate resort. We have you on grid five, over. It consists of three worlds of the past. Locking in now. Worlds where you can live out your every fantasy. There's Roman world, the lusty, decadent delights of Imperial Pompeii. Notify ground crews. Medieval world. Chivalry and combat in 13th century Europe. And Westworld. Lawless violence on the American frontier of the 1880s. Each resort is maintained by reliable computer technology and peopled by lifelike robot men and women. Let's stand by for resort activation. Ready on six, on five, on four, on three, on two. Activate now. Our robots are programmed to provide you with an unforgettable vacation. Dinner at 7, breakfast at 6.30. Get lunch on your own. Don't look like much here, but we have everything. You mean to tell me he's a robot? What'll it be? Uh, vodka martini on the rocks with a twist of lemon. Very dry, please. 
Just give him whiskey. He's new in town. Many elements of the Delos Resort are potentially dangerous. That's part of the appeal. Go on. You say something, boy. Kill him. Your move. Our technology is designed to provide all this in complete safety. In Westworld, frustrations find release. Desire ends in satisfaction. Funny handling. And all in a controlled environment. That's not supposed to happen. We know you'll enjoy your stay in Westworld. Hold it. The ultimate resort. Let me do it this time. Where nothing, nothing can possibly go wrong. I'm shot. Go wrong. Raw. Go wrong. Oh, my God. Shut down. Shut down immediately. Westworld from MGM, starring Yul Brynner, Richard Benjamin, and James Brolin. Westworld, the ultimate resort. Boy, do we have a vacation for you. For you. For you. For you. Uh, welcome back to the final segment of episode 100 of the Simbi Podcast. Uh, we are joined this time around with my friend for, for a lot of years. You know him from the No Fucking Way commentaries. Mr. Nudie, how you doing, sir? Hello, everybody. A pleasure to finally be back on the Cinema Beef. It's been a long time, man. Oof, it has. This, this is the last time I, I was bitching about my Bloody Valentine. You know? Yes, and, and and Bad Boys. We did Bad Boys. Yeah, got, got all emotional with our man parts about Bad Boys. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Stupid, sexy Clancy Brown, you know. Good stuff. <laughs> and also with us from, uh, I, I, I'm gonna kiss his ass now. I think it's one of the greatest communities and one of the greatest podcasts that you guys should be listening to. Uh, the Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema. Um, Will uh, Large William, if you're nasty, how you doing, sir? <laughs> hey, what's going on? Thanks for the kind words. As always, flattery will get you everywhere with me. So. I'm very glad to be here, though. I really am. Thank you for having me. It was an honor, bud. Appreciate it very much. And also, Suzanne, she, she wasn't on the last two uh, two reviews, but because uh, we recorded those like months ago, if you could believe that, a little behind-the-scenes stuff. It's hard to book stuff sometimes, guys, but she's here as well. How are you doing, Suzanne? Oh, I'm doing well. How are you, Gary? Fine, fine, fine. <laughs> We're here to talk about Westworld from 1973. Uh, quickie plot synopsis from the IMDb is a robot malfunction creates havoc and terror for unsuspecting vacationers at a futuristic adult themed amusement park that's pretty spot on <clears throat> it's, it stars the great Yul Brynner uh, Richard Benjamin, James Brolin who Dick Van Patten the skinniest I've ever seen him in my life <laughs> and uh, some other folks too man we're, we're getting to that I'm sure real soon but uh, the way we run this uh if you guys don't know, you guys should know by now, is I'm going to ask uh, one of our guests. I'm going to ask Nudie. What do you think of Westworld? Oh, good Lord. I love Westworld. I saw this movie as a kid a lot of times on TV. And like you said, Yul Brenner, he is the man. I mean, we recently did one of his other movies not long ago, The Ultimate Warrior. And this dude's like, 
he's everything he's in. He's like a man's man. He's he's just great. And Richard Benjamin, what can you say about him? He is like 1973's greatest final girl. <laughs> the guy, I never really cared for him too much and stuff, but he was you know funny in Saturday the 14th, and he did an amazing job in this movie. And I, I just. I could watch this like this is like right up there with me as far as Jaws goes. Jaws is like my all-time number one movie, and this one's really close to it as, as well. I love this movie. Yeah, it's. I got to confess, this was one of those kind of bucket list films. I'd never seen it before. Gary asked me to come on the show. Um, it's just one that had eluded me for years. There'd been so many kind of close calls. I almost bought it at a flea market years ago. Uh, caught it on. You know, uh, TV one time, it, and the blue uh, or the disc, it just, it's always eluded me. So it was a joy to finally see it um, and just see, I could see with my kids, actually, full disclosure. Um, it was interesting for them to see it and just see how it played for them. They're a little younger, right? So, um, but yeah, it, uh, it worked great. And it's funny, it stuck with me. Um, I was at Disney last week, a couple weeks ago, and... It's as obvious as it is. Uh, it's just kind of funny to see how Crichton had laid things out and uh, how even 45 years on, how uh, this thing rings pretty true. And just cinematically, even how many influences and things you can draw from this. Like even my son, who's nine, thought that Yul Brenner, um, it was very reminiscent of um, The Terminator, right? So, or Jaws, talk about Jaws. I mean, or Michael Myers. I mean, we can go on and on, right? But um, I just thought there, it was as influential as this film is. Um, it doesn't get talked about a lot, which I find kind of surprising, right? Yeah, for sure, brother. Um, Suzanne, what'd you think, girl? Well, I remember watching it when I was a kid with my mom. And, I mean, I've, I've watched it periodically, or at least I've had it on in the background. But when I watched this for the show, I think it was the first time I actually, as an adult, sat down and watched it. I mean, I was anything, I like a very specific type of sci-fi, and this fits right there, not to mention the brilliance of Michael Crichton and young James Brolin, and as one of my friends pointed out, uh, Yul Brenner was hot as hell, and he filled out a pair of tight jeans quite nicely. (laughs) But, I mean, I guess the thing for me... I guess I remember as a kid, it maybe just being a little more, I guess, for lack of a better term, whimsical. But watching it as an adult, that is some dark stuff. When yeah. that end scene where the face kind of pops off, that was actually pretty damn scary. But I just really, really have a new appreciation for this movie, especially, you know, kind of, I guess, watching it with adult eyes as opposed to you know, child eyes. And you just see that there's just so many different layers to it that you didn't even realize. I mean, you can see, you know, the the certain things that, you know, with Jurassic Park that I think he was pulling from Westworld. Yeah, I was just, I was really, 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 really impressed at how scary certain scenes were. Yeah, and it's pretty lean. I think it's under 90 minutes, I think, in its runtime. So it, it's, it gets to the point rather quickly. And it's just a, it's a lean and mean film. I think Yul Brenner is perfectly cast, and he does really personify, embody the film uh, on the whole. It's, uh, it's an impressive piece of film, an impressive piece of genre film, certainly. 
Yeah, that point where they they like kill him the second time around. No spoiler there, but then they, they like enhance him. So with the better hearing and the infrared eyes, you're like, oh shit, this stuff's gonna go down now. Because at that point, the things haven't gone out of control yet, and you're like, oh, you can just sense the what's what's about to come, and it's just pretty pretty amazing. And watching them travel from Westworld to to all the other worlds too. And then go down below into the city down below. It's pretty pretty amazing stuff. And for a 1973 movie, which I can't imagine the budget was really really huge. Everything looked looked pretty damn good. All there I mean, for it, a, all there for a thousand dollars a day. Right. I mean, it had That's a. Right. <laughs> I guess it had a 1.25 million estimate budget. So they did pretty damn good for for that kind of budget and. Michael Crichton, I think that was his first directing duty, as well as writing it, and I mean, he knocked it out of the park. He probably used a lot of, a lot of backlots that were already stocked from what they already had, especially Westworld itself. Yeah, all like, the cop movies. Yeah, dressed up existing sets already. It, it would have made sense, I think, at that point, too. I mean, at least stateside, a lot of the... Well, I wouldn't say they were you know, collecting mothballs, but by that point, uh, the genre, the Western genre, was really winding down, right? So it was, you're getting into the, a lot of the police films and vigilante films and a lot of other things. So, yeah, I, I never really thought about that um, in hindsight. But, yeah, Crichton does do a great job, especially it's pretty assured for a first-time filmmaker. A lot of times... When you get first-time films, they want to stuff everything in, show all their cinematic valentines, what they love, their influences, and I think it just feels very organic and very assured, um, much like William Peter Blatty is with, I don't know if you guys are a fan of The Ninth Configuration or Exorcist Three. It's just, it's kind of, it's a shame that neither one of them were, were more prolific behind the camera. I've never seen that configuration, but I know there's fans of it that are on this panel right now. But I've seen that's that fantastic. Yeah, I've here. Got hear. one right here. Yeah. yeah, it's it's a dense film. I mean, I wouldn't say it it sticks every landing, but there's just it's brimming with with a lot of ideas. I, I think I personally think it's a masterpiece. Like I said, it's not entirely accessible at times, but it, it swings for the fences. Uh, I, I think it sticks it pretty well. Yeah, I read the book, and I I've got the movie. I just haven't watched it yet. Yeah, our friend uh, John Cross did an interview with Tom Atkins, and he said that <laughs> that's a book they should write all the fucked up shit that was going on the set of Ninth King Configuration and uh, some some stories they could tell. You know? I can't even imagine. Like, that's one of the most incredible casts ever assembled. Like, I can't even imagine behind the scenes on that. I think they just put a blue for that, didn't they? Like in the past year or so. I think so. Yeah, we, we get a uh, we get Brad Dorif in Chicago in August. So me and Suzanne are jazzed about that. So. Oh hell yeah! Very nice. I am so looking forward to that. Um, Jamie, what do you think, girl? Well, this is a film that I used to watch a lot with my dad uh, when I was a kid. It would come on TV a lot, and I loved it. Interestingly, The Magnificent Seven was also another favorite film of mine. I'm a big Western fan, and so seeing, <laughs> seeing Yul Brynner in both of those roles as a kid was kind of interesting oh, and yeah. I, just, I remember that fucking with my head a little bit when I was a kid but um, I honestly have not watched it in about 30 years so I was really excited and we have it like we own it I just haven't watched it and I was really excited that we were watching it for this because I had been meaning to go back and watch it ever since the TV show came out and I just never did so uh, I was really excited. Oh, my God, it looks so good. It's so pretty. It is, I, I heart Panavision, and 
Um, it just it looks amazing. Michael Crichton is a, an old favorite of mine. He was so brilliant, just so incredibly brilliant. And it, he just, I mean, I don't think there was anything he couldn't do. So, I mean, his direction was top notch. Uh, James Brolin in one of the few roles where he doesn't scare the crap out of me. Because um, he's just always been like one of those people I wouldn't, I always have said, like, I just, I would never want to piss him off. He just he just seems like a scary dude if you piss him off. But I love him in this. I mean, um, Richard Benjamin, I kept wanting to call him Jeffrey uh, because I can never, for some reason, I could never remember his real name. But I, he was Jeffrey in, in um, uh, Love at First Bite. And that's a, what I always want to call him. And so I was like, Jeffrey, Jeffrey, you know, like, no, that's not his name. Uh, I also made a comparison to Michael Myers at the end when uh, Yul Brenner kept getting up. I was like, God damn it. He's worse than Michael Myers. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> he just keeps popping up. Um, there was it actually got me too. there was the scene where but when things first start to go haywire and there's the sword fight. And so we were having, Brian and I were having this conversation about, you know, I understand they have this whole regulation thing with the guns, which honestly, I think I would have gone a different route. I would have gone like a squib route, you know, like have a sensor maybe that would set off squibs on the robots or robots uh, rather than actually use live ammunition and trust it to not shoot real people. I mean, you're, just, <laughs> you're asking for trouble with that, but whatever, they did that. But how exactly are you supposed to regulate a sword fight? You cannot guarantee that the guest is going to put up his shield every single time the robot attacks. Like every time he goes to strike, you don't know what this other guy is going to do. Maybe you can bank on the robot, but you cannot bank on the guest. So that to me is just asking for trouble too. So we were talking about this and then he, uh, the robot goes haywire and they were, you know, the control in the control room. They're like, shut him down, shut him down. And so I was waiting for them to shut him down. And he just stabs the guy in the gut. And I actually went, oh, because <laughs> 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 I what I just I had not remembered that part. And it, I was sucked in. So that was great. I had a really fun time with this. I love the sets. I love I mean, everything. It just they the detail and the things that. He thought like when they were walking through the first time we see them and uh, we take kind of take the tour through the repair room and just off on the side on a gurney. Uh, no one says anything about it. It's just on the side on a gurney is a horse yeah. <laughs> and a mechanical horse. And I'm like, you know what? He didn't have to do that. Like he didn't have to put that little touch in there, but he did. And I thought that was fantastic. I think uh, one of the big things, too, when we see science fiction of this ilk, the thing I like, I mean, I'm more, science fiction is not maybe my main, uh, my preferred genre, but I like seeing science fiction like this or things like Blade Runner. I mean, these are obvious choices or 2001, things that are more brimming with ideas and even the craft of filmmaking you see on display, like you said, with Crichton doing little things and sometimes your hand is forced at least from a technological standpoint to edit more creatively uh, the way you frame a shot things that you know they have to use a bit more smoke and mirrors and kind of craft to illustrate or to to show something here uh, on the screen right or to get around limitations from a technological standpoint so some of his uh, creativity and ingenuity I, I really admired as well 
Oh, I noticed a, a, a shot that I really, really appreciated, or rather it was more an, an edit that I appreciated, was when they when they were working on Yul Brynner, uh, when they were doing the repairs, and you know they take the tape from around the seam of his face, and then the doctor moves in front of the camera, and then the doctor moves... A, like a, out from in front of the camera and that's when they take off then the faceplate. So, you know, like in between those shots, that's when they got Yul Brynner off the table and put the, the fake one there. And it was a very simple thing. And it's not like it takes a genius to figure out how to do that. But for some reason it stuck out to me and I was like, you know, that was, it was a smooth transition. It was, it was edited perfectly. It was so smooth. I'm like, you know, it's a very simple trick. Any director would do it, but I thought it was done just exceptionally well in that instance. It's an assured, fluid hand. It's kind of like the Coen brothers. They make stuff seem effortless. And yeah, it may seem simpler, obvious in hindsight, but it's just so assured and you know, it just flows so, like I said, flow so fluidly, right? Absolutely. And you couldn't, I mean, you couldn't see it. It was seamless. And right. it was, it was great. And you know that's what he did. It's not like it's like you know like a huge cinematic secret, you know. <laughs> but, but, <laughs> but it looked really good. No, it's my true. Favorite, my favorite sci-fi just seems to be the the simpler, I guess, mo- more cere- cerebral at times. Mm-hmm. But this one, like I said, it was perfect in its simplicity. It nothing was overdone. No. And I think that just made it a much better movie. I I mean I don't even think. Any of the sci- the newer sci-fi, it's like all CGI done rapids. Yeah, leaves no you cold. Care. Sometimes I think the intimacy of a small idea, it, it's certainly more profound for us as viewers. And when you have worlds exploding and people getting their hair cut essentially by flipping cars on fire, it, you lose. There's something to be said, you know, for simplicity. And yeah, sci-fi nowadays is so overstuffed. I mean, sometimes a dish with one or two ingredients is much more palatable than, you know, 27 flavors jammed into a burrito, right? Yeah. Well, another thing I I took note of and I appreciate, and this is really, uh, it's something that was common in the 70s in general. And I don't know, I was trying to think earlier today when I was watching the film how to put it into words, and I don't know if I'm going to be able to do it effectively, so kind of bear with me here. But (laughs) there was... Uh, aesthetically a mm, a sparseness uh, that's not right but it okay well, I think <laughs> I know what you're going for nothing seemed crowded I guess right. or or too busy or you know and this was something that was you know very common it just and it it gives it a relaxing feel like you can just sort of you can breathe and you can take in the take in all of the scenery and sometimes that is like in the shot like if you get like a wide pan shot that goes really slow and then you can just kind of breathe it all in but it a lot of that at least in this film and in other films that are sticking in my mind like it uh, like towering inferno is another one i think of when i think of this kind of thing it's just there's the only things that are going on in the background are the things that need to be going on and that doesn't mean that there's nothing going on. It just means that there's not a whole lot. It's not like sensory overload, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. It it fulfills your sensory needs, but it doesn't overcrowd them with 
you know, crazy explosions and things that you don't, or, or hyper colors or, um, I don't know, just a, lo- a lot of mess. And I don't know if that makes any sense, but no, it, it makes, makes sense perfect to me. sense. <laughs> okay. You yeah, know, the, the room that they were staying in was, I mean, it was Spartan. There, there wasn't a lot of bells and whistles. It was just a room from that time period. Well, they even met. They even mentioned it exactly. in the in the movie. Like Richard Benjamin's, like we're paying a thousand dollars a day for this. <laughs> and the, yeah, and, and Roland's like, like, "Well, this authentic. is what it was like. <laughs> mm-hmm. This is authentic. This is an amusement park." And like you're right, there's no like juggling clowns in the background. Like, hey, look at me. You just, yeah, you, you, you watch it and you feel like you're really there. And you're like you're you're living it through the eyes of Richard Benjamin, like his first time there, and you're like, wow, all this is, you know, the the they're all they're all robots, and it's just they're there to, for you to do whatever you want to do. You want to shoot somebody fifteen times, you shoot them fifteen times. You want to have sex with a robot, you have sex with a robot. It's just like it, you feel like you're you're enveloped in this movie, and it's just so good. Oh man, so we haven't talked yet. Uh, he ain't heavy. He's my brother. He's Jeffrey X. Martin. Talk, brother. You know, Michael Crichton's stuff is always a hot property, with the possible exception of the 13th Warrior. And I think it's because everybody just thinks of him as being smart. Side note, it is to me the 13th Warrior is great, okay? (laughs) You are one of the few people who actually... Right? He says it's damned entertaining. <laughs> I have That's to my... admit, I kind of like the Thirteenth Warrior myself. That's my, That's my the... seal of approval. See? That's the Banderas movie, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't mind that. I saw it at the theater. Right. And and notice who's saying these things: people on a movie podcast. You make lunches. <laughs> so, you know, we're kind of geared towards that anyway. But you know, with Crichton being a doctor. And his first book was all about medical stuff, and he created the ER TV show, and that's fine. I think the truth is that he was smart enough to take old things and make them seem really shiny. I mean, I like the Jurassic Park movies just fine, but that's because I know I'm watching a riff on the Valley of Guanji, right? So I, I didn't hate Timeline, but it's, it's just a time travel movie. So I don't think Westworld's any different. This is just a big old robot movie with boards you can fuck. Now... Don't, don't get me wrong. I love this movie just as much as I hate the HBO series that's based on it. But I think it's got a reputation of sophistication that it doesn't quite deserve. I think it's a good movie. I think it borders on great. But this is still a drive-in movie. And I can say that because the first time I saw this was at a drive-in. And it was on a double feature with Jaws, Nudie, just so you know Oh, that. my God. I would be in heaven. <laughs> what was this? <laughs> I think the other worlds in Dallas are a lot more interesting than Westworld. I would much have rather seen an entire Roman world film or medieval world film. That would have been fantastic. And really, for some of the reasons Jamie was saying, they seem more dangerous. You know, you don't know what's going to happen with a sword fight. You never know when, I don't know, a poisonous asp is going to bite you on the tit or something in Roman world. Um, So I appreciate that we got to see as much of those worlds as we did. But it did make me kind of want to watch Caligula right afterwards. I don't know if that's <laughs> action. Uh, you need no other reason but Helen Mirren, so there you go. Thank you, and thank you. <laughs> I think it's interesting that in 1973, Richard Benjamin was a bigger star than James Brolin. He's got top billing right under Yul Brynner. That's just weird to me. But 
I don't know. I, I, I dig this movie. You know, like Will said, it is lean and mean. And I... Look, I don't give a shit about robots having existential crises and wondering who their creators are or what their meaning in the universe is. Oh, I've got so Blade, boring. I've got Blade Runner for that, and as much as I love Blade Runner, I gotta be in the mood for it. So, I, Westworld to me is just a slick little action movie. Besides Crichton's name being on it and him working on it, I don't think it has anything to really elevate it to a to greatness status. I think it's cool as hell, and I don't describe anything higher than that to it. Just because a doctor wrote it doesn't mean it's super fantastic. You've seen prescriptions. <laughs> I think uh, I think that's a fair point, but I think looking at some other, if we're going to, not to say you're certainly being reductive at all, but to look at stuff like Doris Wishman or Al Adams and other kind of B-movie filmmakers, I think this, at least, it's exciting that it's brimming with more to say than that, and it can be viewed through different eyes or look at it differently uh, as simply just a genre film or it's one that's brimming with more ideas, right? So I think that's where I can appreciate it more as opposed to something, like I said, that's just more kind of be fair that was being churned out by filmmakers at the time. Well, it's certainly got more depth than Nude on the Moon. Yes. But, <laughs> but that's, no, that's, you know, that's small. No, no it's, that's a pretty easy feat, I think. But yeah. Yeah, this film makes me laugh. It made me laugh more today than any other time I ever watched it, because like, you catch the small stuff, like the stuff with the horse, where they're, they're picking up the horse that was shot in the street, and he's just laying there on his back with his hooves up. All I thought about was Animal House, when they shot the gun in the air, and, you know, they, <laughs> they got the chainsaw. That's all I thought about the whole time. But, um... No, Yul Brenner. I think I mentioned to Will like the first time. My first glimpse of him was The King and I when I was a little bitty boy, the grandmother, and so that this is different than The King and I, but not that I don't like it any less than The King and I. But um, it's cool. He's he's fucking cool. That's all it is. You got Yul Brenner as the gunslinger, and you, you mentioned Michael Myers before, way before this podcast. Will yeah, your, son, your son's perception to see him as Terminator, they're not wrong, but um. I think Carpenter <clears throat> borrowed a lot from Neil Brenner's portrayal as the gunslinger. Oh, huge, yeah. Even in the score, because if you listen to the score, when the when um, the gunslinger's pursuing Richard Benjamin in the film, because there's 20 minutes of this film, guys, if, you, if you've never seen Westworld, I'm sorry if there's so many spoilers, but it's from 1973, but there's no dialogue for like 20 minutes in the back half of this movie, back into this movie, and there's the part where he's like walking through Roman world, and it's almost apparent, you can go to YouTube and listen to this, the, the, the gunslinger music, the score, which is a lot, of, a, lot of, a lot of strings and a lot of beats, and, you know, it's, it sounds eerily familiar to, to the, 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 the Halloween score. And uh, not, not that he ripped it off, it's just he, he definitely had some influence in there. Influence there. Yeah. And, Does um, it? Go ahead. I'm sorry, no, I totally cut you off, man. Go ahead. You're good. Do you know? Does anyone know if it's been released at all, like uh, vinyl, CD? If it's had any sort of independent release, I, I'd never I, occurred I to me to look. I don't know, but I found it on YouTube. I, I just had to listen to that that particular track over again just to make sure I wasn't going crazy. Just, <laughs> My dad had the forty-five of the main <laughs> theme from Westworld. Nice, nice. I've been looking for. I don't know why it didn't occur to me to look. That's cool. You know, I, I'll something else I thought of, and I could just be thinking out of my ass with this one but this is what struck me when I was watching the film today is the scene 
Well, the the buildup when James Brolin and Richard Benjamin are on their way to there and Richard Benjamin is constantly asking him questions, you know, um, like, you know, do you, you know, do you get the gun belt? Is it the kind that, you know, where you tie strings around your legs? And, and, and then, you know, we see them go to the locker room and they're taking off their regular stuff and putting on their cowboy stuff. And he's still just running the mouth. And that reminded me of the scene from Hostel. Where, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, where the guy is just in the locker room and he's just talking, 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 talking. And he's like basically building himself up to do this whole thing. Now, I'm not saying that it was, you know, that <laughs> that Eli Roth watched Westworld. He's like, oh, I got to take that scene. Oh, but totally it, <laughs> but it, it made me, uh, it just, it brought that to mind. I was like, you know, I wonder, I wonder if, you know, he watched this as a kid and he was affected by this. And because... That's the thing we do, right? I mean, we we take away all these little snippets of different things that affect us in different ways. Or just, I have the most random memories of movies. I mean, just random little, you know, insignificant head tilts or hand movements. Or um, right. a lot of people have heard me talk about in the past uh, the scene from Friday the 13th where Alice is making coffee when she's waiting for Ted. And, uh, Ted. Um... Bill. Bill, thank you. Where she's waiting for Bill and she's making the coffee and there's this where she screws the lid back on and then she just kind of absently taps the top of the coffee can. For some reason that sticks with me. And it's just little things like that from all the hundreds of movies I watched growing up and even into adulthood. And when I think of something creatively, it's those little things that pop out. So Anyway, I don't know. It, that's what it made me think of, and I just kind of wondered. I'm like, hey, did you know? Did he like this movie as a kid? Did he see it a lot? And did that scene mean anything to him? I think that's like okay. asking if Tarantino maybe saw a couple Jack Hill movies when he was a kid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. One thing I think Crichton does well too. Uh, hopefully, I don't have to duck any tomatoes here, but. I've always found Brolin to be a bit devoid of charm or charisma. Like he looks the part for me, but I've never really, he's never really lit my world on fire. And this was one of the few films I can think of where I've actually, I found him engaging. Yeah, I, I don't know. Um, I, I like agree. I said, I was. I mean, he looks the part. Me. Yeah, just the <laughs> Capricorn one. I was. I remember when I first saw it, I thought it was gonna be fantastic, and and it's just he's a bit of a black hole. I mean, I, that's maybe probably that's an overstatement, but as far as charisma goes, he just he he has the perfect look for a movie star, but at the great beard and everything else, but. I don't know, man. This was the first one where I felt like um, he, he was really engaging. Well, around, around our house, James Brolin is known as American Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> on, this, on this show, Will, I've land blasted Memento, uh, My Bloody Valentine, and a couple others, too, that people love and enjoy. Sure. And I feel no shame. So you, if you have something to say, William, you fucking go nuts. I don't give a fuck what you do, okay? I'm just curious, is anyone like a big fan of his or can think of one that would say, well, here's another one that he's fantastic in? I just, I find him very dry. Yeah. I grew up in the 80s, so I'm, I'm a Josh Brolin fan, so it's, it's, there you go, it's, man. it's He's thing, no you know? Sam Elliott, I'll tell you, I'll tell you that, you know. <laughs> not, not many folks are, even today, you know. I mean. I liked Amityville and High Risk. I love Amityville, but the thing is, the thing about his portrayal in Amityville is that that's what scarred me against right. him as a kid. He's scary. Even before 
I mean, he kind of suffers from Jack Torrance syndrome. Like mm-hmm. even before they get to the, they get good in the house and you can see that he's being affected by what's going on in the house. He's scary. Like I, he just is scary. So that's pretty much the only emotion I ever get from him is he just, he kind of freaks me out. And in this role in particular, I found him charming and nice and easygoing. Maybe it's the lack of the beard. Maybe that's what did it. I don't, <laughs> I don't know, but it is specifically in this role. I was more relaxed. Usually when I see James Brolin, I'm, he kind of freaks me out. He was good in our other favorite movie, Jeffrey, the car. That's right. Yeah. Okay. That's a good okay, Fair. That's fair. Yeah. I forgot sure. about that one. What's the one? I don't think it's him. It's like a New York film. A guy's daughter gets kidnapped. Night of a the of, Juggler. Yes. We even covered on our show Night of the Juggler. That's not him. Who is it that's in that? I'm trying to recall no, now. That's him. Yeah. He's oh, it is. Okay. So there's another one that I do enjoy him in. But um, I think it was because I'd seen him so much before I'd like seen stills of him before I'd actually seen him in a film. And there was a disconnect there. Maybe that's from. But then again, I've just between myself and you guys have found a handful that he is good in. So maybe. Maybe I'm just talking into my ass. To answer your question about the soundtrack, there's like soundtracks available all over the place of it right now. Yeah, I got a guy a snake that I was just looking on Discogs. I see, I guess Fred Carlin was the uh, composer, so that's cool. Yeah, uh, Richard Benjamin. I, I didn't take any notes for this, Phil. I never do. By the way, it's the, the glass ceiling right now, like I'm Stone Cold Steve Austin. I never <laughs> write notes because I, I talk wooden when I write notes. So. Sure. I, I think Richard Benjamin shouldn't wear cowboy clothes because he looks like the <laughs> village people. Does. That should be like a point. That's like an advantage right there. Looking oh, like well, the well, village well, people. We, we, we did Can't Stop the Music and we enjoyed the fuck out of it. So there, there, there you, you go. go. Mm-hmm. When he puts on that bath towel and he kicks that door down, yeah. he, just turns, he just turns into a badass, I think. And, uh, I love that scene. Have you no sense of decency? <laughs> <laughs> Slow motion. Oh, it's, it's, it's just a great scene. Was he bothering you? He won't be bothering you anymore. <laughs> um, Dick Van Patten. I'm sorry. No, 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 dude. I'm not gonna let you let me go. Go. Oh, Dick Van Patten looking very slim in this film. This was before his eight kids, I guess. You know. <laughs> uh, the sheriff. All that stress eating that he did. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> no time to stress eat with eight kids, man. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, what else? The, there's, the score, like I mentioned, is, is awesome. The, the film, the, the worlds look great, but like I said, they, they're probably, the, the budget they used, the budget they had, I'd imagine there was a lot of stock, you know, MGM sets, because I'm sure they were a plenty back back in those days. They had stock sets that they used for, you know, whatever the film required. And um, mm-hmm. everything was used effectively, though, and I, I appreciate I, my credit since I was a little boy, before I even saw Westworld, uh, Jurassic Park hit my twelve-year-old eyes, and ever since then, I was, I was, I was all over it, you know. And uh, Jamie does a, an awesome uh, an impression from Congo, and that's amazing too. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> stop eating my sesame cake. Thank you. <laughs> Bad movie. Bad. <laughs> I <laughs> I love Congo. Leave it alone. That movie's fun. <laughs> Ernie Hudson for the win, man. I wish he was more famous. <laughs> oh, man, he is, he is in my book, man. Oh, my God. Uh, when it comes to Crichton, I've just always been a huge fan of the Andromeda strain. Yes. Yep. That is, make, no, that, ugh, that Benjamin uh, Bratt. 
Oh, that was terrible. Oh, it was <laughs> awful. It was, and I actually watched all of it. I did People, too. <laughs> and I was staring at it going, oh my God, please shoot me. Please shoot me. We actually, okay. it was an event. At, yeah, it was, know, like we did it. My roommate and I, we had like this, we made an event out of it. We had people over, we had food. Like I was all excited about this and then new. Well, then they I, also redid, because, um, you know, he directed Coma. I think he wrote the script too. Uh, I, believe, I believe he did, yeah. And I think A&E also went and revamped that and it was freaking awful. Yeah, they need to not do that. Feels <laughs> about remakes. They're they're new. Uh, I didn't yeah. say it. I'm just saying those <laughs> two. She feels bad about those remakes, dog. Oh, she does. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but um, anything else? Anything to say? I'll start with William. Anything else you'd like to say about Westworld? Uh, maybe just a couple things quick. The the western, like the violence. Um, it's been, I don't know how long now since I've seen it, maybe six weeks, but I wrote uh, Lawless Violence. I don't know if someone says that, but it feels very sort of peck and paw, um, sort of the, the slow-mo stuff, some of the deaths, um, which I'm sure, you know, at this point, peck and paw was in full tilt, right? So um, Benjamin, I think, is pretty well cast. I, I have to be honest, and I'm maybe sounds foolish, but I fully expected Brolin to triumph right so i mean they pull the psycho thing on us and it's a nice little turn and benjamin is believable and i think it certainly adds um tension you know when the guy who the the he's he's the greenhorn and he's in there having to get you know see to see it through to the end um it certainly adds an element of tension right so it's i think it's a smart play it's it works well um what else do i got uh, the lab stuff was good. It was chilling. I think we kind of briefly touched on that. I think, you know, even like um, to look at Predator with the heat signature, I don't know when the heat signature had been first done in a film. I'm sure maybe it was before this, but uh, this was big with that generation of filmmakers, right? So like the ones that had followed this. So I wonder if this is the first time we got the heat signature for the uh, the Prey. Um Otherwise, yeah, I think we, you know everything else has kind of been covered. It was I was really glad that I finally got to see this. Um, Gary, thank you for for picking it and asking me to come on, man. Because this was like one of those total list of shame films for me that I just I couldn't I couldn't believe I hadn't seen. But uh, yeah, good stuff. How did your boys react? You know, when when shit got real, when this when when, you know, when shit gets real, like when they uh, it's incredibly violent, especially in like Roman world, where they're just stabbing everybody. You know. <laughs> Yeah, well, my younger son didn't see it, so that was kind of by design. He's seven. Um, I, I thought the violence would be pretty clean, considering it was 73. I mean, you know, it's, I knew it wasn't like um, Peckinpah or uh, Sergio Martino or someone where I had to worry about it. It's not filled with gore. It's, it's, it's done with class, I think. But it's, it, it is. I mean, as classy as one can be gunned down, you know, in a dusty street. But um, it, he was fine with it. it might, he loved it. He wanted to watch it the next day. He wanted to watch Future World. Ooh. Yeah, which I, of course I haven't seen, right? So I think we'll roll the dice on that, and he'll he'll get a le- a lesson in I, film. I like it, but he might not like he might not like it so much. I like I like it, okay. But I, I think, think it's, it's damned entertaining. Yeah, I was yeah, gonna I say that. That'll be fine for me. We can throw logic out the window. It's um, we're dealing with a nine year old, right? And I'm pretty easy to please, so I think we'll give it a run anyway. He'll be pretty excited. But I thought it was interesting how a few of you also said um, how seeing it as children and trying to reconcile what you knew Yul Brenner to be. 
um, from other films like Magnificent Seven or The King and I and then The Menace and whatnot he brings in this role. That's something I'm always very interested in, seeing how my kids emotionally react or how they reconcile things, um, like seeing Arnold Schwarzenegger in Terminator 1 and then seeing him in something else or seeing, for example, um, Toby Jones. We watched The Mist, which... Mm-hmm. You know, I, we, I kind of have a, have a rule I play with. It's a bit fluid, but I don't like to watch any real, real world kind of cruelty. No slashers, none of that stuff. But if it's monsters, if it's Godzilla or, you know, the mist was kind of as far as we've ever gone. Um, I'm kind of OK with it. We pause. We talk about, you know, special effects, practical effects and kind of walk them through everything to pull back the curtain. But to see we saw Toby Jones in that. And then two days later, we watched Captain America and he's like a Nazi scientist in that. And I really loved him in the mist. So it's it's just interesting for them to see that and just to see how they emotionally reconcile um, actors and, and the roles they play, right? So, yeah, I just thought I'd mention that. Cool. You know, That's a, a cool approach. Person. I like that. I mean, yeah. I mean, the most, the most guidance I ever got uh, watching films, and I was watching everything from the time I could open my eyes. Like, I, if my parents were watching it, I was watching it. That's just the way I was raised. And awesome here, yeah. um, the most guidance I ever got was my mom turned to me in the theater at Police Academy when he was getting the blowjob. Yeah. And the, and the <laughs> day at, at, at the dais, she turned to me and goes, you don't get that joke. That was it. That I mean, that was, <laughs> and I was, and I was over there going, "Yes, I do." Like, <laughs> <laughs> but um, and I, you know, I mean, I don't. I really have no complaints. I am, I am no worse for the wear. I don't think I'm. I'm happy. I'm. I'm glad that I am. I am the horror fan I am today because of the way I was brought up. So I have no complaints. But I think. It's, I always think it's interesting. I was talking to Felissa Rose about the very same subject, and she is has always been very open with her daughter. She takes her on set. She explains things to her. She From a very young age, she was introducing her to the behind-the-scenes part of it so that she would be you know, okay with anything that she saw. So she would be able to understand, you know, the difference between making a movie and real life horror and things like that. And I always thought that, you know, that's a good way to do it. Why, you know? Oh yeah, I I think it is. And that's one of the fun things not to turn this into, you know, cinema and parenting, but just to show my kids stuff like Buster Keaton or Harold Lloyd and then show them Jackie Chan and Stephen Chow and just kind of see, kind of see the, the through lines and the influences. And, yeah, to to show them the nuts and bolts of film, because let's face it, we're all talking on the show because it's a passion of ours. And one of the great things about parenting is uh, and community is, is sharing our passions. Right. So uh, it is it is a pretty cool thing to be able to do that for sure. Uh, and I gotta ask you, William. I'm, I'm gonna lay this out here right now. Um, what, William has a son whose name is Brayden. Okay, did your wife let you name your son after a slapshot character? I just want to know. I'm know. sorry. Did your wife let you name your son after a slapshot character? Oh no, yeah. I should be so lucky. You know, we uh, she named she named our second son. Her first son's obviously after me, but I got to uh, name Brayden's middle name, which is Giancarlo, after Giancarlo Giannini. Um, so that's the only input I had into our. Our, our second son's name. Had to, had to throw that fresh vibe in there, huh? See, I had to, I had to, yeah, to drop the Italian. We had to go with Italian, right? Oh, that, so, yeah, Italian is. It was important, so. Um, yeah. Suzanne, what else, girl, about Westworld? You got anything else you want to say? No, I mean, I guess just you know, adding on to the conversation previous, 
And my mom was very open, too. My mom grew up on the Universal Monster, so we were always watching horror movies when I was growing up. And there was, I think my dad was a little bit more tied down, and I swear I watched more violent movies with him because he loved westerns and war movies. So I was, I was just very lucky that way. And I think the most uncomfortable experience I had with my mother was when she put on the entity one night and I was, I can't remember. I was young. <laughs> I watched that with my mom too. <laughs> and it was, it was a little bit uncomfortable. The more I think about it as I'm older, I'm like, that was just a little bit on the fucked up side. <laughs> I, I think the Manitou is way more uncomfortable to the absolute truth to me. You know? Oh man. <laughs> you know, I think about that now that you've said it, but it never bothered me as a kid. It's not a, <laughs> a tumor. That's why, you know. <laughs> but, I mean, oh. Michael Crichton, 70s, you just can't really get, in my opinion, much better. I mean, I even like the Terminal Man. Did he do Looker? Was it him that did Looker as oh, yeah, well? Yeah, he did the screenplay. Yeah, yeah Looker's cool. Duty. As I said, I like this movie a lot. There are a few things that are a little off on it, though. Like, when Benjamin saves the girl towards the end, and he gives her some water and she short circuits, like, Yul Brenner was slugging whiskey. <laughs> he, he didn't short circuit. So like, why would she short, short circuit? Which, I mean, whatever. It was a cool scene, you know. It looked good. <laughs> and, That's and then a good we'll point. No I didn't water, even think about no that. Right. She was like, yeah, she was going to say, no water, no water. <laughs> but then, like, he could hear him breathing from 100 yards away when he was chasing him in the desert. And then when he was standing, like, right in front of him, he couldn't hear him breathing because he was distracted by the fire, I guess. And, and, I, and I love my brother. And I'm, I'm surprised not the one I'm bringing this up. But, you know, where does the the, the the fluid go when he's pumping away them girls in Westworld, you know? <laughs> well, that too. <laughs> If if they have no body heat, what is having sex with a cold robot? <laughs> oh man! Yeah, maybe I the dishwasher. Do they turn face. the heaters on down below? What do they do? <laughs> maybe it's uh like, like real real doll tech. Yeah, real doll technology where like it heats. So I mean, <laughs> according to the website, it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, tell us. Plug it in, warm it up. Tell us more, Jamie. Tell us, you know. <laughs> I was actually, th- I actually said when he was having sex with her, I was like, man, I hope they they clean those on a regular basis. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, that's exactly. Just imagine what I was just that. Mm. I don't want that job. Just I like heated seats on a Buick, right there, you know. Yeah. <laughs> oh, X. Any final thoughts, sir? Man, how would it be if your job was to be the guy who had to douche all the prostitute robots every night? <laughs> oh man. <laughs> Wear gloves. I guarantee um, you there is one guy out there who that would be his that. dream job. Yeah, I was about to say exactly. One yeah, precisely one of those dudes was gonna love it. <laughs> you can always find somebody to do something like that. Yeah. The kink for everyone. If you're a big seventies fan, there's a lot of fun people that you can find kind of in the background playing really tiny roles. <laughs> like Steve Franken as a technician. I think he's great. He's like, oh, yeah, you're fucked. You're not going to live through this at all. Huh? <laughs> yeah. <Good> chance. <laughs> uh, Michael Barrett is the robot who is Miss Carrie, the one who owns the brothel. Gene oh, yeah. Roddenberry's wife, the voice of the yes. Star Trek computer. I was going to mention Major Life for all about it. And Jared Martin. I don't know if people know who Jared Martin is, but he was like the curly-headed dude who ordered cinnamon toast with his eggs. 
(laughs) He was in every horrible 70s sci-fi TV show that existed. He's everywhere in the 70s. So I was just happy to see him. I was like, oh, dude, you were like in the Gemini Man and shit. So So that was fun. Um, As far as parenting goes, you know, my folks got me a subscription to Fangoria back when Bob Martin was the editor. Yes. And... You know, I saw Dawn of the Dead in the theater with my with my dad, and they took me to see oh, Alien man. and American Werewolf. Mm-hmm. So yeah, editing wasn't really part of the program. <laughs> no, no, that was I was I was right there with you, and thankful for it, really. You know, right? Speaking speaking of clear with those lady parts, uh, Ken Furry. I keep waiting for for Hale Mean to do like a, one of the fake commercials. You know, Ken Furry's abortion service. He'll take. He could take care of that for you. You know, just just uh, it, it was always a real uncomfortable scene. Like, you know what? You got a baby. I can take care of that for you. You know, yeah, you know. <laughs> it's not too late, and he knows how. Man, killing it, Jenkins. Jeff <laughs> Sammons. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> it's whatever. I answer to both. You know. It's whatever. <laughs> That's why we call her Jammons. Yes. <laughs> Oh, my Lord. Uh, I agree that Richard Benjamin was aptly cast in this role. I think it was perfect because the way it works out in my mind is you think you're going to get like the shakiest gun in the West. Um, But because, you know, he's just he's he he I don't know. He's clearly an office guy. He can't even stand that their room is as uncomfortable as it is. So you just don't see him really being that much of a badass. So then we get to watch his character arc throughout. I love it. I think it works great. I honestly, if you had asked me who would you put in this role, I wouldn't say Richard Benjamin. I don't think I'd say that for anything. But um, (laughs) I actually like him. I just don't ever think of him. But, you know, watching this, I was like, yeah, this works. He's not the shakiest gun, but he is the sweatiest mustache in the West. (laughs) Yes. Didn't he write and direct a lot of uh, comedies? He did a lot of spoofs and, 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 well, and comedies. Yeah, like he was in... Scavenger Hunt. Yeah, but didn't he write and direct some? I think so. Yeah, I just, for some reason, I'm stuck on that and I can't seem to. When the next push down, my favorite year, I think that was his, right, X? Uh, he did direct that. You're right. I don't know if he wrote it, but I know he directed it. Oh boy. Yeah, I mean, I forgot to mention something. You know, the 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 part like in the end, the last twenty minutes of the dialogue, the the chase scene. There's a point where they're in medieval world and they're in the palace, and um, the gunslinger kind of almost forgets his, you know, that he's only programmed to be in Westworld, and he kind of it gets bewildered and forgets where he is. I thought that was a nice touch. I thought that was uh, part of the script or, or something he did that was ad-libbed. But that gave, of course, our, our, our intrepid hero, Richard Benjamin, a chance to light him on fire. <laughs> you know? Because he just had, had that, that, that moment of, uh, you know what, guess what? I'm not supposed to be here. Almost like the computer kicked back on for like five seconds and gave that chance to, to do something about his situation. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because... I couldn't decide if it was a if he was looking around going where am I or if the acid had fucked him up and he couldn't see and he was so he was he was relying on his he was relying on his hearing and so he was trying to pinpoint where he was by listening so he was kind of doing that thing where you kind of move your head around and try to listen but to me because it could his going by his facial expression facial expressions yes it 
could go either way. And it looks mm-hmm. like he was looking around the room. So I was like, oh, is he confused about where he is or is he trying to listen? And like, I, I couldn't uh, I couldn't decide one way or the other. Oh, yeah. Another, I guess, not, it's not the film's fault, but it's, it's those talking head clip shows faults to where I didn't see Westworld for a long time, but I've seen like Terror in the Isles and this might even been in Terror in the Isles. You see the point where Yul Brenner goes from from automaton who can't kill kill humans to the point where he he you know shoots shoots uh, James Brolin. Hey, I've been shot! I've been shot! You know, you've seen that in those clip shows. I, I've seen him in at least one of them, and they, it kind of like takes something away from the experience if you've never seen it before. But then again, those clip shows do that often to to, to where you say often uh, to, to where you you say okay. I see, I see this scene in this clip show, this clip show of a movie like Terror in the Isles, and you know what? You watch it later, kind of like Don't Look Now. Don't Look Now is, uh, I don't think it's all that great of a movie, but you know, the the point of, you know, if you've never seen it before, the the killer is revealed to Donald Sutherland. Yeah. And, yeah. It kind of ruins it for you. No, you, you know what Terror show. in the Isles ruined for me? Nighthawks. Yeah. <laughs> It did because because of Terror in the Isles, I now know that that's still that's Sylvester Stallone in that wig, and his <laughs> standing in the kitchen. And so as soon as like he comes walking up to him, it's not a shock to me because I've seen I saw Terror in the Isles, and I'm like, man, that fucked it up for him. <laughs> yeah, so. it's, the kill, it's the killer of midget in, in Nighthawks. That'd be spectacular. You know? <laughs> I need I need a midget Rutger Hauer on set right now. See, this is Wolfgar. The small invasion. No, I'm done. <laughs> done. Westworld's good. I'm gonna kick it to Jamie and ask what her rating is one to ten. Ooh, I man, I'm gonna be very kind to this one because it's got nostalgia all over it. I even watching it now, uh, I I really don't have much bad to say. So I'm going to, I'll say. Eight point five. Is that a belt? I couldn't tell. You know. <laughs> no, it was me really trying to fight myself on giving it a nine. But I was like, the hard ones for the ones. I was going to tell you to do it. Yeah. <laughs> do it. Do it. Do it. Next episode, Jamie passes gas on the microphone. No problem with that either. You know, no problem whatsoever. Flashlights on the microphone. X, what do you give it, man? Seven point five. Wow, it's higher, than, higher than I thought it was going to be, you know, actually, from the from the conversation. Uh, Suzanne? I'm smack in the middle at eight. Cool. Wouldn't that be William. five? Huh? Wouldn't that be five? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, gosh. Can, can I do, like, a like a quarter point scores? Do you guys do that? Yeah. Okay, cool. like it, man? I'm going to say... I kind of want to say, but I'm going to say 7.75. Um, I feel like it could go higher, but uh, yeah, this this is, I think, rock-solid genre cinema in the 70s. Great poster, too. There's lots of great Westworld posters that, that I've seen on the There's internet. There's tons. There's tons and tons, yeah. Judy? Uh, Sorry, let me say 8. I want to say 8. i got to say 8. Okay, fair enough. Judy? <laughs> For me, it's a 9. I, I, I like it, and I've always liked it, and watched it today before the show, and I was enthralled as like the first time I saw it. So yeah, it's a nine for me. Yep, yep, yep. It's a it's a good eight and a half for me. It's it's a good good film. 
it never gets boring. Uh, I, can, I can say that, that it holds up at every viewing. And uh, there's that. And then there's Future World. And apparently Beyond Westworld, which I, I tried to watch on my Fire Stick because Warner Archive wants like $30 for five episodes. I was like, I'm not doing that. Yeah. Uh, the uh, <laughs> the Blu-ray has the pilot on there. And I tried to watch that today, and I turned it off 10 minutes in. <laughs> <laughs> so there was... Five episodes produced, three aired, so they were right to cancel it. It's not very good. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Well, that was Westworld, and we will be right back after this. Hello, this is the Doom Show. Keep on keeping on and keep on trucking, America. We don't listen to our feedback because we don't get any. <laughs> the truth hurts. I just alienated the two people that give us constant feedback. Sorry, guys. <laughs> That's gotta go. <laughs> That's gotta go in there. So on the show, uh, we talk about giallo movies and slasher movies and cult movies. Sometimes we even talk about Cameron Mitchell and his movies. I am Richard. Who are you? I am Brad, the guy that's not Richard, or Jeffrey, or Simon. That's right. We have four people, and we always talk at once, except to each other. Jeffrey lives up north. Simon lives across the world. Richard lives in Penis, Alabama. Hello, This is the Doom Show is a proud member of the Legion Podcast Network. Check out the other shows on legionpodcast.com. You can check out more Hello, This is the Doom Show at hellodoomshow.podomatic.com or at doommoviethon.com. Check for our Amazon-exclusive Hello, This is the Doom Show cookbook. Do you like hot dogs? (laughs) We got them. Do you like mac and cheese? We got it. Do you like cheddar? We have it. Actually, we don't. No, no cheddar. Just Colby. Colby Jack. Hello, this is the Doom Show. We never gave up on you because you never gave up on us. Wow. Man, what an experience. What a time. What a, what a, what a planning. And I'll never, ever do it like this ever fucking again. No offense to, <laughs> no offense to the lovely people on the show. I had a great time recording with all of you. But the scheduling stuff was a fucking nightmare. But I, I loved I loved every second of recording, and I hope you guys all did too. Um, our next two shows will be the last shows for, for Jeffrey X. Martin for a long, long time. But we got some real doozies planned for you. We're, we're, we're putting the beef injection back into some beef podcast for, for at least two more episodes. And uh, I'm really excited about that. We'll announce that on the Facebook page, what, what, what we're all doing on there. But I'm gonna I'm gonna kick it to X and uh, ask him. Uh, by the way, we're skipping the death segment because that's that's not where we're about this this thing. We talked about Billy Graham already. Not not superstar Billy Graham, who's still very much alive. But uh, <laughs> again, that shouldn't to, be by all rights. So that many man should be dead. So many steroids. <laughs> oh my goodness! <laughs> they say he's got a big heart. They're not lying. It's enlarged. <sighs> But X brother, we love you, man. You got anything you want to say, sir? Um, well, I mean, I still got a couple episodes left. With yes, y'all. You do. Um, yes, you do. So yeah, you can still listen to episodes of Kiss the Goat and the Food Chain and Theme Warriors, and of course this one. And I've, um, I got, I just did a guest shot on Cinema Psyops for uh, Movie Stack Jenga, and that was a lot of fun. There was a lot of yelling involved, and. Um, <laughs> and that happened, so that was that was that was great. But you know, that's it. Just Facebook. aren't you on VD too? 
Yes, I was on the VD Clinic. You're right. I was on the VD Clinic. We talked about Brazil, which that's a great movie. And you know what? I, apparently a very lovely place to visit. But yeah, that's it. So I'm still around. You can still find my voice in strange places. I'll announce it whenever that is. But yeah, I'm, you can still hear me. I'm fine. Yes, indeed. Because, you know, after all, you promised me a voice! You promised me a voice! No, it's all good, oh, Sweet Jesus! You, 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 didn't, you didn't sign no, no contract in blood with me, man. But, you know, maybe semen. We, we, we won't reveal that, though, on this podcast. But, uh... <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. That's good, isn't it? Jamie! Yes? What you got going up, girl? Well... Uh, we just recorded, if you can believe it, an episode of Devour the Podcast. I know everybody fall over. Um, we, <laughs> that, one, that one will be coming out soon. There is an announcement made on that show. There are going to be some changes. So uh, ch- check that out. We What the hell did we talk about? I don't even remember now. Was it the, yeah. editor, the editor, right? Yeah, thank you, the editor. Good lord. Uh, Pugsley was over here trying to help me if you heard him. I don't know. We also just came out with, on ABC's of Hidden Horror with our top tens of 2017. So Dave, Brian, and myself all run down our top ten horror films of 2017. Brian and I are continuing Attack of the Colossal Collection. And we should have the Q episode coming out sometime soon for ABC. That feed is just hopping these days. We've got every time you turn around, there's something else coming out on ABC's, which is very cool. Um, hey, Nick, Roma, every, something's always happening here on the ABC's Hidden Horror. That's know. right. <laughs> and I feel like I did... Oh, uh, I just uh, had an episode come out of Podcast Under the Stairs where I got to talk about Final Destination 5. I was... Um, part of the latest Russian roulette franchise discussion and I lucked out with not getting four. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Poor Dan. Yeah. Little bitch. (laughs) (laughs) We love that little bitch. Let me tell you, man. (laughs) And Fester, my goodness. He is just running his mouth. He's going to stop the talking about it. It's time for bed, mama. (laughs) Man, oh, man. Suzanne. Oh, we just recorded the Tentacles on FW last night. And I actually think that's about all that's coming up. Yeah. Yeah, me, the show you're listening to right now. Um, the two Drink Venom commentaries, which we're, we're actually back at a better track now. I was supposed to release this episode today, but that's going to come out tomorrow because I got really tired and it's going to come out tomorrow with another one. One, one of our newer, newer one, probably The Ultimate Warrior, like New Dimension, with probably Evil Speak. Uh, which we recorded a long... I mean, I got a lot of episodes in the Pike. They were recorded a long time ago that never got released, so this is why we're releasing them two by two. Or as Chuck Wooler would say, two and two. You know, bitch. <laughs> Sorry, some folks get that joke, some folks don't. But, uh... I used to... I, actually, you know what? I, I still love Chuck Woolery. I always had a big crush on him. I was watching Lingo one time and there was a contestant on there who had been on Love Connection and then they were on Scrabble and then they were on Lingo. How cool is that? Scrabble was so good. I watched a lot of that. I mean, they were basically stalking Chuck Woolery's game show career, but, you know. (laughs) 
Maybe they, they had that person for one day. Like, you know what? You got nice personality. Let's put you on different shows that I do. You know. Um. Yeah. Yeah, those two things. Twitter GW. Twitter uh, as, as, as Cinema Beef Cast. Um, our Patreon page is still not a thing. It will never be a thing. I love you guys that have them and everything, but I would never ask you guys for money. I, I've said this before. Uh, we're, we're 100 episodes in, and I... I am grateful that you guys are listening. Yeah, I've got my hands together. You can't see this through the microphone, but I, I thank you guys every every day that you guys are listening to the show. So, listeners, uh, yeah, you, you guys are spectacular. You guys are, uh, you guys are all my friends, like Mister Rogers, right? Yeah, this world is a little Fred Rogers right about now. I think, and uh, I think uh, Misty uh, shared something very poignant today that. The world did kind of share the shit when Fred Rogers uh, didn't do his show anymore, and uh, that's that's it's weird, but it's kind of the churning point, and people got a little too sensitive about things, and we need a little love in our lives, and uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna end it with that because I, I love all of you guys and all the folks on here, you know, J- Jeffrey X, you know, he's gonna be away for a while, and uh, I hope he comes back again. We're we're gonna have uh, some great conversations when the in-laws aren't in the room about gross shit, and I know we're going to, man. You know, it's like, dude, let's let's talk about some gross shit, man. I, I missed that in my life, you know. Right on. That'll happen. Just two heterosexual males have a bodily fluids. It's a beautiful thing. It's, it's what the world needs now. See, it's, that's the shit. We should have been recording that shit the whole time. Yes. <laughs> what the world needs now is blood mixed with semen, okay? Absolutely. <laughs> it's, it's good stuff. Oh, but this is where I'll leave you. I'll say thank you once again for tuning into the Cinebeef Podcast. Next next time, it might be a super long episode or a split up amongst two, because I think we're going to get into some deep conversations of what we have in mind. But, um, and remember, always here at the Cinebeef Podcast, if you got beef, we've got the grinder. See you guys next time. <laughs>